The GameCube is Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube was cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tiers. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 level. I Rebel, Dean Donian, Jed Winters, Joey Sirico, Resident Evil Collector on Instagram, Wilshire, Link, Marty Thompson, Double Ugly, Bendito Benito, AJ Olson 11, Pixel.Wav, Austin Reynolds, Pedro Marquez, and CubeDude22. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the GameCube Was Cool podcast. My name is Neil Gilbert. I'll be joined later by my co-host Mike Lane. As you know, when we cover a lot of games on a single episode, it's nice for me to just read all the back of the cases up front so we don't break up the flow of the episode. Today we're going to be covering nine extreme sports games, so let's hit the back of the cases now, and then we will join future Mike and Neil with the rest of the episode. Starting with Evolution Snowboarding. Year 20XX. Earth is plagued by an inexpensible and lethal change in climate. Evil forces have inhabited the land, taking advantage of the desperate situation. Something must be done before it is too late. Moving from snowboarding to surfing with Transworld Surf. The ultimate in gnarly action. Surf, the most realistic 3D water anywhere, including over 20 of the world's sweetest breaks, and pull off the same monster moves that made pros like Taj Burrow and Shane Dorian famous. Brave frigid waters of Antarctica, unlock 13 new hidden characters, and surf against your friends in extreme multiplayer modes like Shark Tag. Switching gears from surfing to scootering with World Tour Adventure. Flipside is giving a stunning performance at Castle Coliseum. Suddenly, in the middle of the band's finale, an audible power surge occurs, and lightning strikes each of the six band members. Oh my gosh. One after another, they are vacuumed into the sky. The band's roadie shakes his head in disbelief. I have to find them. He jumps through a color-shifting portal, grabs his scooter, and rides off to search for his idols. Next up, we have Speed Kings. It will take nerves of steel and lightning-fast reflexes to make your way through these crowded streets. Introducing Speed Kings, the full-on adrenaline rush of street motorcycle racing right in your living room. Next up, SX Superstar. Release the superstar within. Don't just survive the SX experience, live it. Jam-packed with ultra-realistic arcade action, SX Superstar takes you on a no-holds-barred two-wheeled thrill ride. To live the dream, you gotta play the game. And Marty's favorite game of all time, we have Extreme Skate Adventure. Skate like a pro, hop on your skateboard, and zoom through Pizza Planet as Buzz Lightyear. Jam across Pride Rock as Simba, or catch Big Air as Young Tarzan. Plus, create your own skater and find the magic doorways to grind and shred from the real world into the movie worlds. Next up, Freestyle Metal X. Free your mind, ride it hard, fast, and wherever the hell you want with all the intensity and insanity of the most hardcore freestyle motocross pros. Mix and link huge stunt combos to create brand new tricks in real time. 16 riders, including nine top pros leading the sport. Here we go, let's read some athlete names now. Clifford, the flying Hawaiian, Adoptante, Ronnie Faced, Mad Mike Jones, Jeff Tilton, Nate Adams, Doug Parsons, Jeremy Twitch Stenberg, Trevor Vines, and Chris Rourke. Expansive worlds getting lost in eight huge levels, which include three to four separate competitions and special challenges throughout as you move up through the rankings. Seamless levels unlock each area and have them linked together, allowing you to drive seamlessly from one level to the next without loading. Killer soundtrack, the best metal you've ever rocked to. Daredevil events, including bus jumping, tunnel of fire, wall of death, and more. 
Huge open environments, six stunts, instant gratification, word. Now we have Go Go Hypergrind. Spumco, the real world animation company responsible for the hit cartoon series The Ren and Snippy Show, is holding auditions for an upcoming action feature called Hypergrind. Select a wacky character, learn crazy stunts, and go before the cameras on the eight massive themed movie sets. Skate as one of 11 crazy cool competitors designed by Spumco, the world famous animation studio. Use the negative reaction system to score insane points and begin your rise to stardom. Chain multiple negative reactions together with normal tricks for insane combination points. Powerful graphics engine allows for real-time character deformation. The wacky, cell-shaded skateboarders can be subjected to numerous humiliations, such as being set on fire, flattened, and covered in paint. Perform over 60 never-before-seen fantasy tricks, as well as a host of real-world grinds, aerials, manuals, and lip moves. Skate on eight gigantic, deviously designed theme movie sets, each with its own stage-specific traps and negative reaction points. Compete with a friend in a multitude of head-to-head -head multiplayer modes, such as push, race, and battle. And last but not least, we have Monster Truck 4x4 Master of Metal. Monster Jam presents Big Off-Road Racing. Monster jumps and stunts, massive off-road courses, blazing head-to-head -head racing, tons of titanic trucks. Whew, ladies and gentlemen, that was a lot of games to cover the back of the cases for. This may actually be one of the last times I get to do this for this project because I don't think we have any more uh, episodes where we cover nine games on a single on a single episode. So uh, yeah, if I never get to do this again, this has been a lot of fun, and uh, I look forward to reading more back of the cases on future episodes. But I'm going to pass the microphones over now to future Mike and Neil. So guys, without further ado, take it away. The GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. That's how the story of the Oreo Cakesters finally concluded. I made it out to Buffalo, and I did procure three boxes of the wonderful Oreo Cakesters. Yeah, screw those guys emailing you, Oreo. But although, Oreo, please sponsor us. Oh, we're live, Neil. Oh, Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Literally, though, we would like to be sponsored by Oreo. Mike, I have a story for you that's been bubbling in my mind for a couple of weeks now, actually, and I'm so glad that I have a chance to tell this to you on the podcast because it was quite the story at our one of our favorite stores in Toronto, A&C Games. Do you have time for a story, Mike? It's time for a story. It's time for a story. <laughs> Everybody sit down on a, on a carpet or something like that. If you have one in your room, I'm going to, uh, unlay a, I'm going to lay out a story for you right now. I'll, so, I'll light your fire again. I know you already lit the fire earlier on in this episode to, mm. to see the back of the case, but light it right. again. Yeah, yeah. Put put some more logs on there, but a small one because it's a, it's a short story. It's not a it's not a uh, it's not a novel. It's more of a novella. Nowadays. So I was checking out my order at ANC Games just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I was buying a couple of Wii games, a couple of GameCube games. Really happy to add to my collection. Awesome. And I was at the checkout counter, which I as you do, and uh, you know all the the shields are up there, so it's kind of hard to hear people. Everyone's masked. Everyone's having a good time. People buying video games. People asking about Animal Crossing cards. Just a classic day at ANC Games on a beautiful hot Sunday afternoon in the summer here in Toronto. And somebody walks into the door, like, you know, into the store, and, you know, the, the little bell chimes as the store, you know, has the little bell there for security purposes, I'm sure. And the guy just makes a beeline right to the counter. 
and I'm already there. So like I'm standing there, I'm paying. I got my my store credit I'm paying with. I got my bag ready to go. I'm excited to take home uh, Transworld Surf with me and uh, play that before today's podcast, actually. And uh, the guy straight up, no hi, no like excuse me to me, just asks the person at the counter, do you guys have ninja weapons? <laughs> and like there's like a pause, like I kind of like shift my eyes over to like get a, like a side profile of who this gentleman might be. I'm, I hope he's listening to this. That'd be amazing. But, uh, you know, the guy like checking my games, putting the discs in the uh, in the cases kind of like paused, did like a little like head tilt, you know, like what? And the guy said, do you guys sell ninja weapons? Like, like combat weapons. And uh, at this point, I'm thinking, okay, this guy's a school shooter. Um, and uh, the guy's like, no, we don't. And the guy didn't, like, keep the conversation going. He kind of paused for about 2.35 seconds, like an odd amount of time. And he just went, oh. And then, like, another two-second pause. And I'm like, this, guy, this guy's a serial killer. Uh, he's like, but I bought a Halo sword here a few years ago. And the guy, like, pauses again, does another head tilt, you know, like, he's, like, <laughs> trying to understand what's going on here. And uh, the guy's like, look, dude, I've been here for years. The only thing we sell are Zelda shields. And uh, the guy, like, paused again for an awkward number of seconds and just said, do you guys have a card? And the guy was like, like, a business card? And he said, yeah. And then the guy just handed him an ANC Games business card. This is a great ad for ANC Games, by the way. <laughs> uh, gives him the business card, and the guy just goes, like, thanks. And then he walks out. And that's it. Wow. I continue my transaction. I leave, and I basically run to my car. Well, my favorite part of that is I think him trying to get the Halo or saying that he got a Halo sword, mm. which is not a combat weapon. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a replica Halo sword, like getting a master sh- shield. I, th- I, I think that that's what he was aiming at when he said like ninja weapons. I think he was looking for replicas from video games. But like, I think I, I couldn't know. tell if he was asking for, <laughs> but he wasn't explaining himself very well was my yeah. problem. Like, dude, use your words. Don't use silence here. He's using his body language. And like, I can understand if you're looking for a master sword. Or something from Skyrim, like totally makes sense. But like, if you're looking for a straight up actual ninja stars, <laughs> you're not in the right place. Like, this place would sell at most a plastic or maybe like some kind of dulled down stainless steel sword at best. I got something to take care of, Neil. Oh, okay. Are you gonna go to ANC Games and uh, and buy a weapon then? <laughs> maybe. Uh, okay. I'll get their I'll get their business card yeah. at least. Yeah, maybe one day they'll have it in stock, and you can keep calling every day of today's <laughs> I, the day. I think that's my favorite part actually is the fact <laughs> that he, he did get the business card. After I like the all. thought of him like with a Rolodex at home, like for places that may sell weapons that he calls <laughs> on a rotating basis to see if today's the day. Like you know, Toys R Us, no. EB Games, no. GameStop, no. Best Buy, a list, no. Yeah, like crossing it out. Just like a little wheel of of uh, business cards that he's procured over the over the years. Of scouring the toronto streets (laughs) i love that great story neil great story Mm. thank you for lighting the fire for for that here in the bows royal studio now put the fire out you can put the fire out now story's over so uh just put a blanket over there if you will i'll put a little fire blanket over that fire Mm. but neil i have another story not as fun as that one for sure Mm. uh it involves some friends of the show one of them an enemy of the pod ramon and a friend of the show harrison uh Every now and then, we have been watching bad movies, and nice. it's just a it's a fun time. I I'm I'm a huge fan of watching bad things. Like you know, it's it's the bad bad. It's the stuff that it's basically unwatchable, and you basically mm. see uh, who's gonna cave first in terms of trying <laughs> to say we want to stop watching it. Okay. And um, we've seen five movies now. We've seen uh, a movie called North with Elijah Wood. We've seen Wild Wild West, which is a pretty big one. That's with Will Smith back in the day. Mm. Uh, something about Dunstan. Um, that's with the, uh, this monkey in a hotel. It's basically Sweet Life of Zack and Cody with a monkey. Oh, is that a Family Channel movie or something? Yeah. I feel like I've seen that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that one's that, actually not that bad. That's a good, <laughs> is that a 90s, early 2000s yeah. movie? Yeah, that, I, yeah, I know that one. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ishtar, which is just the worst thing ever. But... Uh, <laughs> The uh, that's a whole other story in itself <laughs> is Ishtar, but we the last movie we watched was featuring Hayden Christensen, Neil, Ooh. because I went on his 
his filmography after watching the amazing Obi-Wan series. And I was like, well, what else has he actually done, you know, since Star Wars? And I knew mm-hmm. he did Jumper. Yeah. Because I remember that was not great. It was an interesting movie from the 2000s. I remember liking it, but like it, I was maybe 11. I haven't seen it since then. Uh, I think I was just hyped to see Hayden Christensen in something other than Star Wars. Absolutely. And I was kind of hyped to see Hayden Christensen here in Little Italy, oh. the LA 2018 movie. Okay. That uh, is actually set in Little Italy in Toronto, which is mm. uh, weird because it does, really does not need to be. <laughs> There's almost no uh, Toronto references other than <laughs> Little Italy in Toronto and the same shot of Christy Pitts twice. Nice. Uh, once at the beginning and once near the end. <laughs> is it like uh, on different days, but everyone's still wearing the same clothes? Like No, it it's that... just the same shot that they, <laughs> that oh, they copy and pasted. Gotcha. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the room. Honestly, this movie is close to room level Ooh. in a lot of aspects because there's just a lot of funny things that keep happening in it uh there's a lot of these you know how in the room people bring spoons to to screenings and such and bring the yeah, football right uh this is kind of like that where there's a whole bunch of things that just will keep coming up like in the room it's how the her mom has breast cancer and it never comes up again right. <laughs> stuff like this happens all the time in oh, <laughs> little italy and everything is about pizza for whatever <laughs> everything revolves around this you know the, pl- the plot is it's like a romeo and juliet type it's these two pizza shop owners, uh, uh, they both that one has a you know son, one has a daughter, and they fall in love, and uh, mm. it's a will they or won't they kind of situation through the whole thing. Uh, okay, and Hayden that's Hayden Christensen's, Christensen's character, I'm assuming. Yes, he's the son, and then uh, Emma Roberts is the uh, daughter. Now, isn't uh, he like in 2018? Sorry to cut you off there, but in 2018, mm-hmm. Hayden Christensen is he not like almost 40 at that point? That's right. He's almost 40. Okay, yeah, so it's and, a, yep. like a rom-com attempt with a 40-year-old. It doesn't quite hit the same. <laughs> and, and and you know what? It would be okay. The age isn't a big thing. It's it's the fact that he uh, is trying to play an Italian Oh no! with okay. this really bad Italian accent that they probably made him do. And same thing with Emma Roberts, who doesn't use the Italian accent, but she's just very much not Italian. So uh, mm. that didn't work either. No. And uh, yeah, some, there's some very memorable lines. There is uh, a lot of memorable characters like Luigi, mm. who is a Asian man who is trying to be very, very stereotypically Italian throughout mm. the entire movie. Nice. And they finally addressed it at the end of the movie. It was uh, <laughs> it was pretty interesting. Um, awesome. I would definitely recommend giving it a watch because if you enjoy bad movies and just want to have a good time laughing and pausing the movie sometimes just to kind of let everything sink in (laughs) Uh, because there's a couple lines there that you really have to pause afterwards. Okay, just to really be like, did they really say this? Now, is this one of those movies where by the end of it, the accents are just gone? No, they're kind of there. But like, again, these are not good accents uh, at all. And there's... There's a lot of just weird, weird choices in that sense. But uh, yeah, mm. good, solid rom-com. He does have a great Toronto Blue Jays jean jacket that good. I really want. So that's well, like the one big part of the movie that I can say is redeemable. Well, he's actually a Toronto local. He lives up in... Uh, Markham. Yeah, like Uxbridge area or Markham or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. so he, he's not too far from us. Potentially, we could run into Hayden Christensen. We have a high chance as anybody, really, uh, on this show um, listening as well. And maybe we have some Markham in the GTA listeners. So please let us know if you've seen Hayden Christensen at your local pizzeria. And Mike, where can <laughs> folks uh, find this movie? Is it on Netflix, Hulu, Crave, Amazon we, Prime? We rented it on YouTube. Nice. We paid money for this movie, Oof. though. Nice. Good, good, to, good to know that Hayden Christensen is still cashing in on those acting checks. I wish that they would let him do his own accent. Like, he's got a pretty decent, like, deep voice. I don't know why they don't let him use that a little bit more often. Like, when he was Anakin, he kind of did a whinier, higher pitch voice. And this one, 
I just get upset when like actors have really good voices and they're forced to do uh, other voices accents. Like Benedict Cumberbatch is a good example of that as well. Exactly, exactly. But uh, Neil, mm-hmm. I think it's time to transition from Hayden Christensen Little Italy talk to a Patreon topic that we have today. Good idea, Mike. Listeners, remember if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube is cool. All of our patrons at the $5 level get their name read in the credits and the option to submit an opening topic, just like iRebel did today. And iRebel wants to know Hey guys, my submission for the month of July is for you guys to have another debate, this time regarding zombies. Which are better? And why? Slow zombies or fast zombies? As usual, one of you picks one side and the other one picks the remaining one. Make your case, and I can't wait to hear what you both have to say. And if you're wondering, I'm team slow zombies. So Mike, I will let you uh, start off. Uh, Do you have a uh, preference between fast zombies or slow zombies? It's a good question, because Mm -hmm. I... I was trying to think to myself, I was like, okay, like what, you know, where have I seen slow zombies and where have I seen fast zombies? In real life. (laughs) And we're in real life on my everyday treks down to Little Italy in Toronto. Mm. Uh, (laughs) uh, There's there's a couple. So I think for me, I think slow zombies, I grew up with less. Okay. Than, than fast zombies. I, I associate fast zombies with like I am, or just zombies in general with I Am Legend, Walking Dead, mm. Last of Us, Left 4 Dead, World War Z. You know, these all have fast zombies and like very much like horde zombies. Right. And I, I think like, uh, I think of the older, you know, genre movies, like the older like, universal horror picks that have the slow zombies mm. or just like parodies of zombies are usually slow. You know what I mean? But yeah. uh it's the, the the fast zombies that I get I guess I kinda see in like new movies and T V shows and such. I and honestly I just think like, you know, for fast zombies, I couldn't run away from them. For right. a zombie, you would think it's like what happens if I meet a zombie, I shoot at them, they don't die, then I run away. Mm-hmm. But uh with a with a fast zombie, they're just running at me really fast, like one of those uh crimson heads in uh, in Resident Evil, you know, if Crimson right. Head finds me, I'm, I'm oh, dead. That's no it. chance. No, no chance. chance. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lot scarier. So I think fast zombies are my pick because of that, because of the fear factor. Now you're going with the angle of what type of media you want to consume, like like in terms of movies and video games, and perhaps I suppose books, if if you uh, wanted to dabble in that. Or are you thinking more like in a real zombie apocalypse? <laughs> what like because that was my question. Yeah. I did have to reach out to Ira Bell, and I was like, "What do you mean by this? Do you mean like in terms of real life? Like what do we like better? And like if there was actually zombies, what would we prefer to turn into? Uh, or what do we prefer mm. to watch?" And she kind of said, "Like make it anything you want." And uh, go go you know go from there. But I'm assuming it was like an all encompassing kind of thing. So turning into, I would probably say uh, slow zombie because I don't mm. want to run. I was gonna say like in your in your next life, but you have to defend fast zombies now. So I guess now you have to you have to get some you have to not skip leg day now as a zombie. Um, my issue, see, I'm team slow zombie here, and my issue with mm. fast zombie is that like let's say you're like day oneer uh, in the zombie apocalypse in terms of a survivor, sure. and you see the first patient. And you have no warning that that is a fast zombie. That's my problem. Like, it could look slow. Like, the first time I think I saw this in a movie was um, the Day of the Dead remake. Where is that the one where they're in the mall? Or is that Night of the Living Dead? I can't I can't get my... Uh... I think Day of the Dead is, is in the mall. Uh, someone can correct us. The remake. Like, the 2005 <laughs> yeah. remake or whatever. When I saw that one with my brother, I just remember seeing, like, the first scene... Uh, one of the opening scenes, like a zombie running, sprinting at them. And I was like, that was the first time I saw that because I grew up with a lot of the uh, the Romero movies from like the 80s and the 70s yeah. and 80s and 90s where it was like, it was all slow. And that's where I want to be, like in every sense of the word. Like I would love to be living in a slow zombie apocalypse because I feel like you could just have fun. 
Like, you could mess around with them with baseball bats and motorbikes. And, like, that's what you see them doing in that movie, too. Like, they're just using them as sniper uh, targets and stuff. It's really fun. They even do that in, um, that's, uh, oh, Land of the Dead. Land of the Dead is where, like, they've kind of learned to live with them. And they're all slow zombies. And eventually they get out. And in higher numbers, they're not great. But I'm definitely team slow zombies. I I feel like I could definitely hold my own long term. And even in games like The Last of Us or... Uh, I haven't seen much of The Walking Dead, but a lot of those uh, other movies and games do have moments where there's slow zombie moments, and then there's moments where there's fast zombies. So it's kind of cool that they have both. Um, But I just love, like, in some of the older zombie movies where, like, they're just kind of poking them with, like, sticks to keep away. And (laughs) I think that that's where I'd want to be in an apocalypse. But realistically, I feel like if I'm living in an apocalypse, I'm, I'm dead within about a day. Yeah, m- me too, me too. But it, it was it was an interesting topic because it got me thinking of just like zombies in general. Me too. And like my, you know, I guess experience with zombies in, in, in everyday life. Uh, <laughs> I, I I think of like Nazi zombies playing COD back in the yes. day all the time. I loved, loved playing that. Uh, I think of this great song called Zombie Christmas, one of my favorite Christmas songs hmm. by an artist that I like called Emmy the Great. Uh, I just, it's got a great music video too. I was, I was watching it just before this to, you know, get my zombie fix mm. uh, before we talked about it. And a friend of the show, uh, Christiana, she did a class on zombie culture in university. Oh. Uh, and that was really cool. I remember she would uh, tell me all like the different movies they were watching and, and ask me for help with some of the essays. So that was, that was, that was a cool course. I wish I took that. I also learned that zombie apocalypse and the zombie, I guess, culture in the 2010s really was when it hit its boom, uh, mm-hmm. like its second boom, I guess, was like when in one of our classes where it was just basically practicing presenting and project, uh, like group projects and whatnot, where you got to pick whatever topic you wanted. And I went the route of like basically the retirement savings plan in Canada going up from 65 to 71. That was my topic. Uh, and topic. I mean, it was useful. But yeah. uh, the, someone else's topic was like how to survive a zombie apocalypse. And I just like looked around like you can you can do this as a topic. <laughs> like you could literally pick anything you wanted. And that was theirs. This was 2012, I suppose. And that's right when like The Walking Dead was coming out. And like you said, like Left 4 Dead and the, the zombie mode in Call of Duty. Like we were really a part of that in the mm-hmm. mid-2010s up until the late 2000s. Or, sorry, the late 2020s, I guess. Like up until 2020, the zombie boom has really kind of died down a little bit or just found its niche a lot like westerns ninjas pirates astronauts over the years zombies had its place as well to the peak in 2014 where there were 18 zombie movies mike i had no idea there were that many i've missed out on so many of those zombie movies so that's why i think i'm team slow zombie is because those are the ones that i've seen we 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 saw i am legend in theaters together i don't Mm -hmm. know if i count those as zombies though are they zombies in that movie i think so yeah i think a zombie is anything that is just like human but not living necessarily sure yeah, World War Z is something that, like, I, I really want to see that movie. That's, like, a movie that's missing from my back catalog because that's, like, a like a wave, like a tidal wave of zombies. Yeah. It's almost comical. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm still just more of the older zombie films. I'm trying to think the last zombie movie I saw. It might have been Land of the Dead, which was, like, 2007. I don't think I've seen another one since. That's, like, a true zombie movie where, like, people coming back to life, which, again, doesn't make sense. Like, you've been rotting in the ground. Your, your, your muscle <laughs> tissue is breaking down. Why are you fast? Like, it makes no sense. I'm slow now. Like, how do I get faster in death, you know? Like, I just want to chill yeah, when I die. That's true. Yeah, yeah, fast zombies are faster than you anyways. That's I know. interesting. Yeah. Like, I'd be so pissed if I have to die to, like, outrun a child is, is my issue here. So, I yep. rebel. Thank you so much for that topic. Mike, team fast zombie. Neil, team slow zombie. Looking forward to the zombie, uh, looking forward to a good zombie movie to come out again. I feel like it's been a while. Even The Last of Us Part 2 kind of got away from the zombie part, more into the human part, which was good, but I like those clickers. Yeah, well, we'll have Last of Us the series, so, I mean, mm, maybe we'll get some cool zombies there. That's true. That'll probably be the next thing we see. Stay tuned. We'll have to review that on the show. 
This episode is brought to you by Manscaped.com. Our listeners have been using Manscaped products for the past few months and are joining the millions of people around the globe in the Manscaped community. And for another month, your body hair can be kept under control using our promo code GameCube at checkout. It's officially summertime, and everybody talks about looking good for the warmer months, but few have the balls to do it. Well, it's time to nut up or shut up and take the easiest step to looking sexy this summer by using Manscaped. Manscaped's ultra-smooth package makes sure you have the proper care for down there, and their Boxer 2.0 gives you the perfect stage to show off your new look. These products may make you look hot, but your cleanly shaven nethers will keep you cool, and the Boxer's 2.0 patented pouch technology will keep your boys from turning any beach day into swamp day. Dive headfirst into summer by joining the 5 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get 20% off plus free shipping by going to manscaped.com GameCube. I am a huge fan of the Ultra Smooth Package, which is a specialized three-step groin shaving kit to help you buff, protect, and smooth your most sensitive areas. I'm talking Crop Shaver Razor, Crop Exfoliator, and Crop Gel. This kit is the perfect polish to make your family jewels shine. It's an amazing kit and has become a staple in my bathroom routine. You start with the Crop Exfoliator, infused with ingredients that can soothe, clear, and keep the skin on and around your groin feeling refreshed. The Crop Exfoliator can help reduce risk of ingrown hairs in your delicate places. Then you move on to the Crop Gel. You want to see where you're shaving with the clear shaving gel designed just for the groin. It's called your delicate area for a reason. This is one place you don't want to go in blind. Then it's time to shave. The Crop Shaver was designed for shaving the groin area with confidence. The razor with three precision blades, including extra wide lubrication strips and a pivoting head for the ultimate groin grooming experience. All three of these vegan, cruelty-free, and sulfate-free products are included so you know your manhood is in good hands and, without compromise, to the environment. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code GAMECUBE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code GAMECUBE at manscaped.com. There are so few perfect summer days. Don't let hot, sweaty balls ruin them. Stay fresh, stay clean, and smelling good with Manscaped. And now, back to the podcast. But until then, Mike, I think that it's time that we jump into the episode at large. What do you think? Let's skate into the episode, Neil. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 107 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 466 games. You can visit thegamecubeiscool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. That's me. That's him. Last week, we talked about our last Mario GameCube entry, Mario Superstar Baseball. We learned a ton and brought on Little Cokes from the baseball Mario Baseball community on Discord to talk about why this game is one of the best baseball games of all time and one of the best Mario sports games ever made. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. This week, we are talking about extreme sports games from 2003 to 2004, the last of the extreme sports games run on the console. These games were probably games you got from a random ant at some point or you stole from Block. <laughs> Blockbuster because no one was renting it. <laughs> These games have some of the worst box art of any game on the console that we have seen. But nevertheless, Mike, we have nine games to cover today. I have already covered the back of the cases at the start of the episode. So if you listen to it, thank you so much. Uh, so let's jump into it. Let's talk a little bit about extreme sports games on the GameCube before we have our callers join the show. Yeah, we talked about this almost, well, I think exactly 100 episodes ago, Neil. Yes. Which is pretty crazy to think uh, about. That was the 2001 to 2002 
coverage uh, for these games. And to just list them off quickly, the ones we, we already covered, Dave Mira, BMX2, SSX Tricky, Dark Summit, Jeremy McGrath, Supercross World, MX Superfly, Aggressive Inline, Freakstyle, Big Air Freestyle, Matt Hoffman's Pro BMX2, Evolution Skateboarding, Disney Sports Skateboarding, and BMX Triple X. A classic amongst classics, BMX Triple X. <laughs> A lot of those games, uh, they're, I mean, somewhat forgettable. Some of them are like cult classics at this point, specifically BMX Triple X. Still haven't found a copy of that. I haven't seen it in the 100 weeks since we covered it. Have not seen it at any of the video game stores we frequent. Have you? No, I've, I've never seen it before or since. Still still definitely on the lookout for that. Yeah. But yeah, these um, uh, it's very interesting because the games we're going to be talking about today are all from 2003. And so I did actually title this episode extreme sports 2003 to 2004 but there's no 2004 games <laughs> it's pretty crazy i had to actually look back and i was like okay well are there any 2004 extreme sports games that we've already covered hmm. and yes Neil, there are three it's thug 2 american wasteland and ssx on tour those hmm. are the only post 2003 gamecube games in the extreme sports genre and there's about 40 extreme sports games on the on the cube wow. so that's wild that 37 of them were released before 2004. It was a huge genre of video games back in the early 2000s. We talked a lot about this 100 episodes that a lot of these games have been kind of snuffed out by the the Grand Theft Auto games of mm-hmm. the world now yep. where this is just a mode in another game. Like you can you can do snowboarding, you can go and skateboard, you can go and ride a bike or a motorbike around the city. You don't need a standalone game. So, it's interesting to go back to these games that like we said just do one thing really well yep. or not so well uh it's it's you know that's up to the uh the player's interpretation i suppose um but it, it's hard to like explain to someone growing up with video games nowadays i think that the games are starting to see a little bit more of a resurgence like we saw with the tony hawk remakes come out a few years ago and now ea's skate is making a return it seems like the skateboarding games are getting the majority of the of the love the nostalgic love these days we haven't quite seen yeah. the same uh the same uh re i guess rebirth of like snowboarding games or you know uh big air freestyle or inline skating but just to like uh, go through some numbers that we've talked about before in the Mm -hmm. past the original sxx game sold 3 million units tony hawk pro skater 2 sold 5.3 million units the original wave race 64 sold 3 million units Mm. and excite bike on the nes which is kind of like the birth of extreme sports games i mean a lot of people can argue there's other ones in the arcade but excite bike was really the one that a lot of or at least the one that i consider to be one of the first sold 4 million units on the nes like that's a that's a good number that's almost i think that's more than any mario sports game that we've talked about that's yeah it is it is more than any mario sports game and that's yeah. huge for the nes you know the mm-hmm. uh only 40 million NESs i think sold 50 million uh, yeah. million maybe but yeah 4 million is pretty crazy for a game like excite bike that has no tie to anything else i know uh, in that uh, in that world but yeah it's the extreme sports games are are really interesting to think about today because some of them did last a little longer like snowboarding for example mm-hmm. snowboarding was quite big on the Wii for a long time. You think the Sean White snowboarding games right. uh, on that uh, that generation of consoles, you know, so they were they were lasting for a while. And yeah, like you said, skateboarding still very much uh, a, a, a big genre of games. Also because skateboarding is very in right, right now. So people are making skateboarding games, but it's it's the, the games like the Disney's <laughs> skateboarding and stuff like that that will never ever ever come back it's just that's a that's very much the bygone era because nowadays we really just have uh we have these extreme sports in other games like gta or they are kind of made on their own as indie games mm-hmm. i think ea skate is is one of the very few exceptions 
right. in terms of a big publisher wanting to solely make a game. Or I, I would say Activision with um with the Tony Hawk remake, but now they're not doing three and four, so. Right, yeah, much to our uh, disappointment, those games have unfortunately been cancelled. And it's funny because just looking at some of the gameplay and playing some of these games this week in preparation, I was always thinking like, man, this would have been a great licensed game for this this franchise, mm-hmm. but uh, like maybe it would have ended up being just as bad, I don't know. But like just playing a, like a motocross game would have been really cool to have tied that into something like a Power Rangers or something. And even like I played in Ghost Rider, a video game that is not an extreme sports game, there is a motorbike level, a mode, like it's just a mode in that game, but you can race motorbikes in that game and I played Mm. that for hours on PSP back in the day I've never played a a motocross game on any of my consoles despite I know that they do sell well the uh, what is it MX cross ATV or versus ATV that series is actually pretty was pretty popular those games all rated really well and they ran for a little quite a long time Uh, it's just a niche market that uh, I think could have tapped into other markets as well if they had just made good licensed games. We're going to talk about a few of those today. Disney sports skateboarding is a bad example of that. <laughs> it's an attempt to get at the child market, and I'm, I'm sure it did fairly well, but hasn't aged very well as some of the other games that we're talking about today have. That's true. That's true. So why don't we bring on our first guest of the day, Neil? We're going to have a couple on today. It's going to be an exciting time. Mm. And this is racing expert Ali, who is coming to join us today. He was last, of course, on for the racing episode for Need for Speed. That was a lot of fun talking about those games with him. So, Ali, thanks for joining us. Hello, hello. Good to have you back. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about some uh, some racing games. Not as good as Need for Speed or... Um uh underground any of the underground games but uh still they're racing games nonetheless so uh we can hopefully do some comparison one of them is a racing game so hopefully we can do some fun comparisons and uh you found some interesting trivia about each of the games we're talking about today so it's i think two of them are actually racing games (laughs) yeah yeah i guess that's true actually yeah Yeah. i mean it's uh so well well neil introduce the first one we got here all right let's start with the first game here which is speed kings not a great name released on may 28th 2003 developed by climax studios published by acclaim it's also on ps2 and xbox rates a six out of ten price today at around fifty dollars and this is a motorcycle racing game and basically the easiest way to describe this is that it kind of looks like uh if uh, items were taken out of Mario Kart and everyone was forced to use bikes. That's kind of the easiest way I can describe this game. But, Ali, what is special about uh, Speed Kings? Is it a game worth uh, checking out as a racing fan? So, first off, I just want to say that um, this episode we're going to cover a game where the development studio did not go defunct. No way, am <laughs> yeah, I, I right? Know. A good chance for <laughs> once on this podcast when I'm a guest in specific. Um... <laughs> So it was this game where the development studio did not go defunct. <laughs> it's a, Very it's a nice uh, pace of change here. <laughs> um, Climax Games went on to making Viva Pinata, which is basically a cult classic. I haven't played it, but I really want to. Um, and then as recently, they went on to make uh, Returnal, the PS5 exclusive. Oh. Yeah, and I want to play that one pretty badly. It's kind of like a 3D Metroidvania. I always see people talk about Returnal. And Climax Games also did, on the GameCube, they did the Italian Job game. They did Serious Sam. Uh, and they did that Hot Wheels game that you like, Neil. Yeah, the new uh, the new Hot Wheels Unleashed that just came out recently. Did they do that game? I'm looking at their uh, list. No, no, on, on GameCube. Oh, the GameCube, the GameCube one. one. I was going to say, yeah, the last most recent game was Returnal. And then there's 2019 games. Yes, the Hot Wheels game, Hot Wheels World Race, was... Uh, 
was a climax game. Yeah, they have a long, long list of games here, going all the way back to 1988. I believe we talked about them back on the Hot Wheels episode. So good to see. I mean, acclaim is no more, but uh, good to see that some of their de- <laughs> no some of the good to see some of their developers made it onto uh, to the next round in the video game uh, eras. This is why this this specific studio did not go defunct because this is not an acclaimed studio. The, they mm. did not put all of their eggs in one basket from the looks of it. They like played all fields. Like pretty yeah. much every every game around the time this Speed Kings was released, they were different studios. Some of them were acclaimed, but they were all over the place from the looks of it. So Main reason why they didn't go defunct because they didn't stick with just one publisher. A good mm-hmm. idea. Yeah. Yeah, especially at this time, good call for sure. And uh, and with speaking, so we we have it on this on this episode because this, of course, is extreme sports episode. We have it on here because I didn't love putting it on the racing episode just because we have a lot of MX games uh, for um, uh, for extreme sports, anyways. Here and so part of it does feel like a bit of an extreme sport game because there is a lot of like hitting people and doing these kind of weird tricks and stuff while you're racing. Yep. So let me just that's one of the good points in the gameplay which i'll get to but i just want to begin with that this extreme game starts with (laughs) the license option highlighted all right so like the when you log in not log in when you open the game up the first option is license that is like starting your tony hawk underground game with buy safety gear first option you should you should in real life of course but in game that kind of removes some of the extreme element you know yes and you say oh license test ah yes how extreme indeed <laughs> so you gotta pass your m1 license before you can yeah, go out over the road and kick people off their bikes going the wrong way down a highway that's good that's right that's good you know you need to learn um the only yeah. issue with the learning is um it's the tutorial mode but it doesn't have any controls listed for any of the tutorials yeah that was a big thing that i saw in this game just in general is the controls and very not intuitive at all the main issue really is that when you're doing the tutorial and it tells you to do like certain things certain tricks it doesn't tell you the controls they're not on the screen there's nothing um to get the controls you have to go into the main menu of the game then dig through the options to actually even see what the controls are because uh, the tutorial mode doesn't tell you that's kind of a big shame in my opinion yeah um for a racing game it doesn't have a mini map on the side or anywhere while you're racing so that's a little bit you know Mm -hmm. yeah it's missing but it's like there's a lot going on on screen anyway but it's like you can because it's the four corners top left has your time uh, top right has your lap three of three, and then bottom left has your speedometer, and then the bottom right has the place that you're in. You could totally like t- double up, like first oh, and the lap, and then put the map on the bottom right. Yeah, I just easily. noticed that that's missing. It's that's a must on a racing game. That's not an option to add that's a, on. Later. That's a must, especially for this one. No, there isn't. Yeah. So especially mm. on this one, it's um an issue because it has a lot of corners <laughs> right. so you need to know which corners are coming up and of course one or two laps you'll kind of get a sense of it but even then i think a mini map is a must um especially for an arcade racer yeah i might have missed the option to add it but i don't think so again you know i might have missed it but um one good thing is the game uses real gear and bikes so that's a plus uh mm-hmm. even though i know jack about bikes so that's fine <laughs> you know there's no real yeah. career mode or story, so no real right. progress either. There is a tournament mode, um, which 
I guess can be a career mode and something you'd want to play, but it's uh, it's kind of locked until you get the best times on all tracks. Right. And mm. that is legit pretty hard to do. So to get you know to get to feel like you're progressing through the game, you have to master the game in the first place, and then play what seems to be like a you know a progression mode like the Grand Prix. That seems a little a little bit backwards to me. Yeah, that's mm. that seems like something that pretty big to like hide behind a wall there for sure. Yeah, and a big wall too. Like yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> it, it's a hard game. It's not an easy game. The good parts, the driving is really great. Mm-hmm. Like mm. it is it's really fun to drive. It's just everything that surrounds it is kind of the problem. The camera mm. follows way too tightly behind you. So uh, a lot of games around this time, whether arcade or simulation had this problem where a lot of people might not even think about it, but the camera is following the car, mm. right? And the second mm-hmm. you turn, the camera turns with you. Nowadays, what you see is when you start turning, the camera slowly starts turning. So your car starts to turn first, mm-hmm. and then the camera slowly follows you around. And that's a much better approach pretty much in, I would say, simulation or arcade because you don't get this like jittery and nauseating feeling which i've been playing racing games for 15 years and this is the first one that gave me nauseating feeling when it was turning (laughs) oh wow yeah this one it feels like the camera's attached to a broomstick at the end of your bike like 10 feet behind you at all times so yeah i can see how that would be a little bit nauseating that's the perfect way to put it (laughs) you have to give a shout out though like the game doesn't do many frame rate dips like it, it runs really smooth which is is pretty good like for a fast game like this is basically it's not an f-zero game but when you're doing something quick like this type of a game you need you can't have frame rate dips it needs to run smoothly and if that means that the environments take a bit of a hit which they do like the trees and the buildings and everything doesn't look great there's a bit of like a blurriness to everything and that's what it takes to be able to make the bike you know not dip in frame rate when you're going through turns or going with speed boosts or i guess doing that power slide underneath a an obstacle uh it makes the game so much more enjoyable um and yeah and that's uh, one thing i was gonna say that it actually also runs on 60 fps which is pretty damn uh, awesome i thought so for that time and it mm-hmm. looks pretty gorgeous in my opinion it does um the rubber banding is a little intense oh it's crazy but... it's like you could yeah, be it's... way far and last and all of a sudden if you get a little bit of speed it's like, oh i'm i'm uh, in the middle of the pack now that's right but you kind of need that when the bikes like you know actually act like bikes and mm. you crash and you're out basically so it's it's not a bad idea in my opinion um, the music is un like repetitive and uninspired. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Um, the sliding your motorcycle underneath obstacles is really cool. You you feel yeah, like fun. a badass doing it, especially when um, you know, a truck it like it's not scripted. A truck is just going by, crossing the street, and the only way to cross is to slide underneath. That's that's a right. cool mechanic that I think uh, more games should implement. I think that's but... one of the coolest things about this game that I found at least is the fact that each lap is unique in a course, right? And how one lap, yeah, will have you slide under a truck or something. One was going to have a train that comes by that you have to jump over. So you're really encouraged to do some tricks and hit people. (laughs) So, uh, and and in that sense, on the surface, it looks like very much a traditional racing game, but it it does have some depth to it and makes it a very early example of a, of a a diverse racer in that sense. Oh yeah. yeah. Without a doubt. And again, it's, it's really freaking fun like i'm not gonna deny it's not it's a lot of fun it's just damn if i if they could just maybe get the camera fixed and the progress fixed 
then it would actually become a really good game. But even without that, it's the driving model is just really fun. Like it's mm. it's truly fun and it's um very exciting to uh beat people up to yeah. make them crash. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of fun like beating up people to make them fall. Watching your character fall too is funny just watching them fly like 100 yeah. yards <laughs> forward if your bike wipes out. There's lots of little small details in this game. I think that they could have maybe added a little bit more, but one uh, thing that stood out to me which is kind of cool is that when you're going against traffic it's really neat if you're going straight at a car or a truck they flash their high beams at you yeah uh, to like get you to move out of the way which is really cool like the, the cars and the trains and everything react to what you're doing which is neat it definitely feels like that if this game had like another chance or a sequel or you know continued on to the seventh gen i think they really could have made this really neat but motocross and motorcycle racing games in general never really got the big budget that any like some of the other car racing games got every time i see this game they're like watching the blue guys in their suit on their blue bike just makes me think like man i wish this was a power rangers game (laughs) (laughs) i'd be really cool like just to be able to like even as like a downloadable skin or something to be like all right i'm playing as jason or or billy from power rangers now like it'd be be such a cool crossover to do Um, it's ridiculous enough where i'm sure you could add their powers in there too to people all over that'd be kind of funny you can morph into a Zord at some point. Oh sweet. my God. <laughs> well, let's go on to a more ridiculous game, Neil. Maybe more in line with your vision of Power Rangers meets Speed Kings. Mm. And that's Go Go Hyper Grind. Before we do that, I think we should cover that last because Monster 4x4 sucks ass. I'm just saying. Okay, let's do it. Let's do Monster okay. 4x4. Really? Because <laughs> that's like, Monster 4x4 is, oh my God. All right. Yeah, we're going downhill a little bit here. Monster 4x4 Masters of Metal was released on December 10th, 2003, developed by Ubisoft Barcelona and Inland Productions, published by Ubisoft. It's also on PS2, rates a 5 out of 10, priced today at around $25. And this is a vehicular combat game, if you want to call it that. Ali, you have some thoughts on uh, Masters of Metal, please. What what What's your opinion on this game? I think um, it's overpriced by $24 at least, so that's <laughs> a good start. Um <laughs> Inland Productions is another defunct studio, so here we uh, are, yes. back to where it all is. Uh, so, this game is uh, some shovelware ass, is what I put down <laughs> in my notes, and I stick by it, and I'm going to say it, it, it okay. really is. Uh, the main dude's voice actor is the worst oh I've God, ever yeah. heard, I think. It's terrible. It's really bad. All lines he says are with no emotion, and they all sound like a question. When he's trying to say, <laughs> I will be the best, he delivers it like, I will be the best. Like, will will you, dude? I don't know. Uh, the character animations are hilarious, like hilariously bad. And I think the devs <laughs> kind of knew this, so it's kind of an in joke with them. Mm. The models are legit from the PS One era. Like, no, yeah, hiding it. The character models, but again, it's like it's a car game, so character models don't really matter or shouldn't. But there's a story mode, so they do matter. I know. The story mode is so, like, unnecessary. And the what Ali is talking about, too, in terms of character models, you really see in these story mode cutscenes. I think there's, like, five or six of them in the Terrifying. entire <laughs> yeah. game. And they are some of the worst things I have ever seen. They are worse than PS1. Like, oh, way yeah. worse. They're just disgustingly bad. Every character looks like an upside-down Coke bottle with three elbows. I don't know why their arms move, like, independently of their of their bodies. Their heads are weird. Like, they move awkwardly. Like, it's literally, like, something out of the Little Nightmares game that I really like on PS4. It's literally it's out like, of the PS1 era. Like, it the is, polygonal it's like, look. It's worse than that, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like, Resident Evil games look better than this on PS1. Yeah. Like, it's... it's it, it really did. It's absolutely <laughs> terrible. And the voice acting, like you said, is really bad. Oh like, I'm God. not sure... I, I don't know who they used as voice actors. They definitely... They might have been monster truck drivers. I, I really have no idea. But, Ali, do you want to know what's crazy about the monster truck uh, series? What? 
It's still around. The no first way. game was released in November of 2002. <laughs> the most recent one was released by THQ Nordic in 2021. Oh my THQ god. THQ Nordic keeping it alive. Yeah. Keeping the, it alive. Crazy, <laughs> the crazy thing with this is that, and with all these games that we'll be talking about, they're big studios. So like, this is Ubisoft. We'll be talking about Konami too later yeah. on. We did cover the Monster Jam game before neil on the last episode and that game was also terrible uh yep. this game they're all they're bad all, <laughs> they're all bad which like is so i don't know who's setting to me because who's buying them because <laughs> monster truck games in theory should be so much fun all i would want mm-hmm. as a kid like my dream as a kid when i was like nine years old was to own a monster truck and like most kids i was i was pretty into monster trucks i had the little figures of them and stuff and and like most adults you <laughs> don't own a monster truck I know. <laughs> like most adults <laughs> i've not achieved my my dream but yeah playing this game is really tough because the way that they made this game is not arcadey if you can believe it the of course all the animations and everything are super arcadey but they made the game re- like quite realistic in terms of driving a monster truck which is not what you want to have when you play a monster jam game you just want to be able to roll over stuff run around and, yeah. and smash stuff no but it's it's it becomes almost like tank controls uh mm-hmm. where you're 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 trying to inch your way around when you have this monster truck and the worst part too is when you hit anything anything at all in on the stage, if you're hitting people, if you're hitting other trucks, you you kind of get stuck to them. You, probably, you guys yep. have probably had this with other racing games that are older, not great, or not that well developed, especially arcade ones, where if you just nudge someone, all of a sudden you're like tangled up with them, even though like there's nothing to be tangled with. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was one of the worst experiences was trying to untangle myself from other monster trucks. I mean... The plus side is the game has real monster trucks, at least. They got the license yep. to those, uh, so that's good, I suppose. Yep. <clears throat> the music is the most monster truck thing you can imagine without <laughs> <Butt metal. laughs> without having any licensed stuff. So it's just butt metal, but like right. just no personality. <laughs> Generic. Right. No disturbed lyrics over that or any Limp biscuit. unfortunately. That's yeah. Mike, you might not have gotten far enough, but there is, or maybe, maybe... Um, the, this game also does the cardinal sin of not explaining to you the controls. So you have to dig into the options yep. menu, look at the controls there. But there is some cool stuff you can do. Like you can make your monster truck jump. You can mm-hmm. make him boost pretty hard. There's two different boost buttons for some reason. One's better than the other. Um, <laughs> you can have shields on. There's some cool things you can do. Some gameplay of it is fun. It's just the fact that there's no real tutorial again, right? Um, yeah. And the game has a lot of systems, so I don't know why there isn't. Uh, same thing with this one. The camera follows you too hard, just like the uh, what's it called Speed Kings. I think games in general around this mm-hmm. era just had trouble with this. Uh, I don't think there's any rubber banding. This game could use it because it's like super easy. You can just unless you crash into things you can just walk over and uh, barely try and still win pretty much all events mm-hmm. you, you basically float through the levels like it doesn't look fun to play is my problem like you're racing around these really short tracks you can basically see the entire track yeah, at all times yeah. and uh if you can see the track through everything going on on your screen like i know we talked about with speed kings there's quite not quite enough things going on on screen on this one there's almost 
too much just because there's so much going on on in in the track already that to add like why why can you see your pit stop manager <laughs> pop up every so often why do i need to see this this idiot pop up like to tell me something the I don't, other I don't issue with that. this one is like uh all the tracks are basically squares with just small variations right so there's not yeah. really any turns or any strategy unless you go onto the open world quote-unquote tracks which you form your own pathway basically um, but then you're just destroying the AI. You can beat it with your eyes closed, honestly. Yeah. yeah. The most fun wasn't the racing. The racing actually wasn't fun at all. It's the story. It was, isn't it? I forget what the the mode was, but it was the kind of like, not free play, but you're just in like an arena with other monster trucks and you're driving around in that. Like that, that was the most fun time that I had. But again, it got ruined whenever I hit another monster truck yep. and would just get yeah. stuck on them and, and fly around. It was uh, honestly, it feels like an unfinished game. Uh, That's which it. Which is yeah. really upsetting because again, monster truck games could be really cool. But yeah, let's uh, let's move on to a more fun game. Before we move on, I think it's just like the sports games. They probably just wanted to keep the licensing yep. yeah, definitely. and release whatever they could. At least the story is cheesy as hell. I think like I think the FBI is involved at a point and NASA. Um, but uh, yeah, other than that, it's eh, it's whatever. It's, it's wacky and unnecessary. You know, who should like I just want I don't want to just poo poo on monster truck racing games and then move on. But Ubisoft seems to have I don't know if they still do. Oh, no, THQ has the license now that's too bad it's too bad that it couldn't have gone back to ubisoft because you know who i think could have done a good job or could do a good job with the um monster truck license is red links and ubisoft kiev who do the trials rising games oh those games are really fun we played those at the cottage trials a few. Is really amazing trials is great and like it's it's quick it's bite-sized like you do quick stunts and then you get out like that's what monster truck racing needs to be those games look pretty good i remember watching friend of the show brandon play that game at a cottage one year and thinking like man this this is a really good game like this this could work for a lot of different sports and uh like trials yeah. is typically like a dirt bike kind of game like you do stunts and you go off jumps and then that's it like that's what monster truck should be i don't want to ride around a monster truck for 10 minutes i want to do something cool no. in 30 seconds seconds on some kind of a course and then move on to the next the next mini yeah, game or whatever because it is. it'd be nice to like feel like you're in a monster truck in this game yeah. you really no, don't you definitely don't. Too. yeah they used to be flash games like Ooh. free made a long time ago I, I even forget the website but when all of us were in high school they used to be flash games around those times oh. Oh. Um, and they were just as fun and i think ubisoft probably bought the licensing and now they're still just as fun yeah. That's really cool. Right. That's like a pretty a rarity. Just like uh, developers not being able to last past 2004 in this era. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a rarity that you actually have something that is, you know, indie made, a big publisher buys it or, or, or gets involved in it and it still is good. So that's really cool. Exactly. It's, it's kind of uh, an awesome uh, Cinderella story. We love mm -hmm. to see it. Love to see it. And we also love to see... This game that we're going to talk about right now, Go Go Hyper Grind, one of the weirdest and most expensive games ever made for the GameCube, Neil. Definitely a wacky cult classic game on the GameCube. Go Go Hyper Grind was released on November 18th, 2003, developed by Paponchi, published by Atlas. It's on no other console. This is a GameCube exclusive, and it lived and dies on the GameCube. Rates a 6 out of 10, priced today at a an affordable $700.00. And this is a cel-shaded, cartoon, wacky skateboarding game. So think Tony Hawk Pro Skater mixed with all of your favorite Saturday morning cartoons. Ali, what are your thoughts on Go Go Hypergrind? So lives and dies on the GameCube, much like the studio Paponchi, sadly. Uh, mm. This was their first and last game ever yep. made. <laughs> I know. 
um so that's kind of depressing and i i swear i found like the prices on ebay going for like 1500 us oh 700 yep. is the low end 700 is yeah, like the lowest just end. the box like uh, yeah like no manual <laughs> it's not in great shape yeah. you're getting the game not, so not even in like half the disc <laughs> yeah. yeah it's yeah. it's really too bad another um you said Paponchi basically yeah, lived and died here the other people who basically lived and died here were spumco and yes. I didn't really yeah. know. I kind of ha- I had heard of the name Spunko before. I did my research, and of course, Spunko is the designers and the creators of Ren and Stimpy, uh, the of course a big cartoon, of course, that we watched back in the day. Uh, they also technically made the Ripping Friends, Neil. I didn't know this one, but it yeah, makes sense huh. because they were going to make a movie called The Manliest Men. Uh, but it was it was scrapped, and uh, the the characters were later than used for the 2001 series of the Ripping Friends. Hmm, that's really interesting. You can see you can definitely see some crossover here of the Ripping Friends and Ren and Stimpy. Even like a little bit of Who Framed Roger Rabbit in here, especially with the plot, which is really good. I love when cartoons are self aware. Uh, this is in a world where humans hire cartoon characters for their roles in movies and TV, a lot like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And 3D characters are putting the 2D world out of business, just like in Who Framed Roger Rabbit the colored cartoons uh, I literally mean colored cartoons are putting the black and white cartoons <laughs> out of business uh, the 2D world are trying to save their industry by creating a TV show called Hypergrind uh, and the point of the game is all characters are auditioning for a role so every time you're it's almost like the um, the uh, Mario or it's almost like the Spongebob Lights Camera Pants mm-hmm. uh, game where yep. every every level is kind of like a an audition for a role in that movie. So really clever concept and some interesting characters who have some really funny backstories as well. I want to talk about that in a little bit. But Ali, do you have any experience playing this game? Do you own it? Of course not. Uh, <laughs> I had to. Um, I, you, nope. Uh, I had to, you know, go, use the good old emulator on this mm. one uh, because sure. I'm not heading out there uh spending my life savings on uh, a game that's uh you know it's good but it's not great right no um yeah. and the fact that the humor also reminds me of Ren and Stimpy yes not it's just the character similar. designs the second when i saw the opening um scene i was like oh yeah okay okay i see where the Ren and Stimpy guys um probably mm-hmm. did their magic I'm assuming Papanchi got absorbed into Atlas since around this time Atlas was really ramping up production on the Shin Megami Tensei and its offshoots like Persona. Um, The game's opening is uh, really amazing because it has a scene with a character ogling at a shop sign and the shop sign is just a woman's torso with giant (laughs) boobs that move around constantly. The shop, by the way, is called Milk Shop because, of course, it is. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and there's uh, also a scene where a character keeps getting covered in more and more literal shit. <laughs> so, I don't know how they got past the T for teen rating, but I'm impressed, to say the least. Yeah, there is, of course, that it's like a billboard of women with giant breasts that you can bounce off of in yeah. the game, mm. which is... Uh, I did just not the, know that. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's the, the, the name of the game in this one is, think Tony Hawk, but just complete wackiness in terms of, of uh, there's no rules of physics, there's no rules for gravity, You if you can dream it, you can do it in this game, you can right. do the craziest wacky stunts ever, and I think this is actually really a genre or a, a, a subgenre of a subgenre that we never really got properly anywhere. You know, we, we have the Disney skateboarding and extreme sports games that try and do that super kid friendly wackiness style for extreme sports, but they don't do it well. Of course, uh, this game 
does it. And because as a kid, you know, you play Tony Hawk Pro Skater, obviously a ton of fun. The soundtrack's amazing. But you do, there's a part of you that wishes you could do even crazier stunts, right? Yeah. And, and this game basically fulfills that need. And when I was looking at it, uh, because I also don't own it, <laughs> uh, I I was like, wow, this would actually be a lot of a lot of fun for like an hour, just going yeah. around and doing crazy, crazy stuff. I think I would get a little bored after a while. Also, the game is quite short; you can finish it pretty quickly um, if you are good enough, I guess. But uh, yeah, for for a couple hours, this this is a really unique, amazing game. The quote-unquote long play version of the game is about three hours, and it's just over-the-top wacky violence, which I think, like, for me, after a while, like most other sports, Mario sports games that we've talked about, I like to turn off these, like, stage hazards and everything, and that's really what makes the game fun is, like, your character can get set on fire, they can be dismembered, they can have their heads cut off, they can be covered in, as Ali said, poop, and that's how you kind of string moves together is that, like, the more insane state your character ends up in getting covered in paint or you know axes in your head that that's when you start to be able to kind of do basically like a star power or something in guitar hero uh, it gives your character like more adrenaline or something so you can do crazier stuff and that's how you get higher jumps and uh, more tricks in midair which is it's a clever idea I, I really wish that they i really wish that there was more of these games honestly because it's yeah. just a, it's just a change up from a standard skateboarding sim which it feels like we have a hundred of those by now the mechanic you're talking about i think is called gimmicks um, mm. One of them in the tutorial is uh, you can just get your head chopped off and still skate. Right. Uh, it's <laughs> a fun gimmick, literally, uh, um, and does add a lot of variety to the game. You can also customize a lot of things in the game. And one thing I miss from this time period a lot, you can just unlock everything you want with cheats in like the beginning. I right. remember doing that a lot with the uh, rhythm games because when I'd go to friends' houses and they wouldn't have the songs unlocked that I like, I didn't want to spend two hours, you know, just trying to unlock the song and then playing it. Um, now it's something that we know is locked behind a paywall to progress through a game yeah. fast, but I really miss the times where you could just, you know, launch up these arcade-style games and put in some cheat codes and unlock everything. I did not because I wanted to experience the game. As fun as the gameplay is, the actual issue with it, the one, like, I guess, Achilles heel for it, in my opinion, is it's, how should I say this? When you jump and you want to turn in the air, that's jank as hell. So um, (laughs) when you turn in the air, you have to use L and R, uh, whereas Mm. every other skateboarding game had all, and Tony Hawk was well into its releases by this point. And how right. you would, you know, turn left and right while doing tricks or just turn left and right in the air. Usual is use the analog stick. Um, but this game chose for some reason to do it with LNR buttons. Mm. Um, I did map it to the analog stick in the emulator and it actually works pretty well. It ruined some other parts of it because now I couldn't do what's called verts. But still, I think that that small thing that kind of is the Achilles heel because it becomes like a button salad when you're trying to do complex tricks <laughs> to say the least. That's a really good point. You know, I didn't even think of that because yeah, L and R moving around in the air is really jank. Like that's such a weird way to do it. Especially uh, when the precedent is already set and it's better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That is, that is a strange one. Yeah. Because it obviously is very much taking from Tony Hawk in that world. Right. Uh, another strange thing too, that I wanted to point out this game, although was made by Japanese developers and a Japanese publisher was never released in Japan. 
This is a North American exclusive game. Yeah, which kind of explains why they probably didn't do so well because Atlas around this time was still only big in Japan. Like, sure, they had yep. a very small cult following here at this time, but as a publisher, they didn't know how to market most of their already existing IPs here. Mm-hmm. And then to add something that's specifically targeted to North America, it's not a surprise it didn't do well. Yeah, Atlas was still like a bit of a like a niche name in uh, in gaming. Like they had some really good games, obviously, but like they're not like they are now with the Shimigami Tensei series. Like those games are huge. They're talked about at E3. Same thing with Persona. Those are on everybody's top, you know, yep. top ten PlayStation Five and PlayStation Four games and Vita games of all time. So it really took until about the 2010s before the series, or before the uh, company started to put games out uh, in more numbers in North America. So it kind of makes sense that. They brought this game to North America because these types of cartoons, I don't know if they air in Japan, but it's definitely more of an American-style cartoon game. So that makes sense. And it also makes sense that they didn't put out many copies because Atlas, I don't think they had much of a publishing budget back then. So uh, that's why it's in such uh, low supply and nowadays high demand. But at the time, I'm sure you could probably get this game for pretty cheap if you could find it. But um, one thing I just wanted to say real quick, I talked about the characters uh, in the game. There's only 11 of them. There aren't too many. They're all fictional characters. I would have liked to have seen some Ren and Stimpy characters in there or something. Mm-hmm. That would have been, or Ripping Friends. That would have been really neat. The character on the front of the box, his name is Decker. He's the Red Wolf. He's a pretty cool guy. Uh, but my personal favorite is uh, Mr. Smith. He's a monkey. And <laughs> Mr. Smith is married with 15 kids. He has three sets of quintuplets. His wife, Big Mama, wears the pants in the family. She is harsh on Mr. Smith because of his inability to put food on the table and because of his family's financial difficulties. But she really loves him deep down. His sons admire him, thinking that he is a famous actor. Uh, Mr. Smith sometimes puts up a tough exterior, but in reality, he really cares about his family and his acting career, which is why he's in the game. He's trying to uh, score a role in Hypergrind. I love the fact that they add like these small details, honestly. I know. It's, yeah, it's, you don't need to you don't need to know these things about the characters, but uh, they're there nonetheless. And they highlight the characters in the game too. So when you're selecting them, uh, you can press I think it was L, and zoom in into the character model, and then just kind of mm. see them go around. Uh, again, highlighting how much time they probably spent on these creative characters. And I really enjoy that aspect. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> That's an interesting thing to do in a cel-shaded game where there's not much detail, regardless of how close you get. So yeah. good on and them. Voice acting is pretty good too, in my opinion. Um, it's okay. Yeah. It's you know it's it's much better than um, <laughs> yeah. Monster, yeah, Monster that's true. Uh, yeah, we have some comparisons here. We have some yeah, comparisons, you know. And <sighs> story mode wise, I felt like I wanted to continue watching more of it, so I think that's a net positive. Yeah. Um, overall, and the again, pretty graphics. Cell, yeah, you know, cell shaded. It doesn't age, honestly. They don't really age. They're kind of timeless, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. The best example was, for me at least, the Budokai series from Dragon Ball Z. Mm-hmm. Um, they never really age. I absolutely love that. Uh, I love the cell shaded era, and I'm glad we got to see it with uh, with Go Go Hyper Grind. Yeah. And of course, like you said, this is an Atlas game. The other Atlas game on the GameCube. Cubivore, which also goes for around seven eight hundred dollars. So Jesus. thanks, Atlas, for making two very expensive GameCube games. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Atlas. Oh, one thing I do <laughs> want to mention. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't believe I have to list this as a positive, but because of the other two games, Hypergrind actually has a proper tutorial mode where they show you controls. Uh, so that's wow. a nice change of pace for me for this week. 
<laughs> Thanks, Hypergrind, for actually telling us uh, what we should be doing and what buttons we should be clicking. Doing the bare minimum, maybe. You know, <laughs> we're doing the not, bare minimum. Let's not miss words here. Just doing the <laughs> bare minimum. Thank you. Very nice. Well, Ali, is there anything else you'd like to say before we let you go for today? I swear, all three of these games, and we've discussed this, could have been so much more with just like just a little more time in the oven. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the saddest thing about this one. All three of these have really good gameplay or something along those lines that could have made them pretty damn great with just maybe like, I don't know, two, three more months. That's it. That's a huge thing yep. with just all these games, I would say, is they uh, you know, get close to getting to some sort of, I guess, satisfaction for the user in playing them. I think especially with the Monster Truck uh, games, uh, but even with Speed Kings too. It's these games that you don't see a lot of. There are those gimmicks like being able to have a different lap every single time. I think that's really cool. Monster Trucks, mm-hmm. you get to play with Monster Trucks, but both those games and then you know even Go Go Hyper Grind don't fully realize it and i think that's just the reality of the game industry in 2003 you know you just uh there's the you just you need to get those games out and uh time is is that factor and time is of the essence time is of the essence (laughs) kind of crazy going back to this it's (laughs) it's kind of crazy going back to it and thinking that huh maybe patches aren't such a bad thing like no yeah because they can fix gameplay and many times they have like look at I know everyone brings it up, but No Man's Sky, even look at like fighters, right? Balance patches Mm -hmm. come in and they actually feel completely refreshing and new and better. So maybe that's not a bad thing. You're you're almost always better off to buy a game a year after it comes out nowadays because the game is just guaranteed to be better. It's guaranteed to be cheaper. Unfortunately, when we're talking about games from 2003, we don't have that uh, that benefit unless you're playing it on some kind of an HD an HD emulator or something. Mm-hmm. The games are going to be pretty much the way that they were, actually exactly the way that they were released back in the day. Unless mods, mm. which you know, for some yep. PS2 emulated games, they are yeah. pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, honestly, there is that whole world for mods. Maybe we'll see some mods for Go Go Hyper Grind, but. <laughs> Probably. Uh, well, Ali, it's been a pleasure to have you on today. We always love having you on this podcast, and I'm sure we will see you again very soon when we talk about the racing games on the GameCube for Racing Part 4. That'll be a fun time. Yes, that should be a fun time. Thank you for having me, guys. It was awesome as usual. <laughs> All right. Take care. Have a good evening. Awesome. Thanks, Ali. Thank you. Bye-bye. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. Thank you very much, as always, Ali, racing expert Ali. And he got to be skateboarding and monster truck expert Ali <laughs> on this episode as well. It's uh, always great having him on. Uh, lots of good facts. And uh, I'm really sorry that he had to play the monster truck game. Yeah, I feel so bad. I mean, he had a good run, though. We had him on for our uh, our burnout games <laughs> and true. our Need for Speed games. He was on a SSX as well, Ali yeah. came on for. So he's talked about some good games. It's time that he has to feel our pain and talk about some of the uh, the shovelware games. Or so He had some stronger words for some of the games we talked about today. <laughs> it is a bit of a job going through and finding uh, some of these old games and finding good things to say, ways to improve them, uh, you know, things that are just terrible about it. It's just a... It's, it's a labor of love, I guess is the best way to put it. It's truly a labor of love, and we're going to continue that labor, Neil. But before we do it, we need some people on to help us out in, in this labor and going through everything. And we're going to welcome Marty and Gavin to the show. They were last on, well, together they were last on for the infamous uh, Extreme Sports uh, Part 1 mm. back in the day, 100 episodes ago. And we're welcoming them to the show once again. So guys, uh, welcome back. Thanks for coming on. 
Thanks for having us. Hello. We are here. I am here again. Great. Gavin is here again. It's good to have him back. And I'd like to remind everyone listening what happened the last time we talked about a Disney skateboarding adventure game. Let's uh, let's just take a listen. So Scott, I'm not Scott. sure. I couldn't confirm before I hopped on this that if, if this was on the GameCube version or not, but it was definitely on the PlayStation 2. Like if it had a soundtrack at all. There wasn't a PlayStation 2 version of this game, though. Yeah, it was only for GameCube. Oh, I think I'm looking at the wrong game then. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> oh, just all wrong. Disney Extreme Skate Adventure? No, no, Disney, Disney Sports, Sports Skateboarding. skateboarding. <laughs> <laughs> why, why was everyone so? Why was everyone so disappointed in me? I can't understand. We we were talking about Disney skateboarding, and you thought we were talking about Disney's Extreme Skate Adventure, which is the game that we will be covering today, Mar- Marty. We we invited you back to finally, one hundred episodes later, talk about Disney's Extreme Skate Adventure, which was released on September fourth, two thousand and three. It's developed by Toys for Bob. It's published by Activision. This was the game on PS two, Xbox, and Game Boy Advance. Rates a seven point five out of ten. Priced today at around seventy five dollars, and it is of course a skateboarding game with the Disney charm of Toy Story, Lion King, and Tarzan, amongst other characters. And this is the game that has Simple Plan in it, Marty. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. Didn't we already talk about this one? <laughs> no, <Nope>. you did. <laughs> so it makes me think we've already talked about this. I mean, it's very similar. Do we need to talk about it again? <laughs> we'll talk about it again. It's very similar. Basically, the differences between this game and Disney uh, skateboarding, which are both really expensive games, mind you, yep. is that Disney's Extreme Skate Adventure gives you some kind of BMX type stuff to going on. It's uh, it's basically like, I'd say, a Tony Hawk a Pro Skater 4, whenever you got to have not just a skateboard. It's, uh, it's basically like that. And uh, the soundtrack, of course, has... Some great, great bangers here. Audio mm. event, Little Romeo, Alistair, Grits, Jump 5, Newsboys, Real Big Fish, mm, of course, Prozac, Simple Plan, uh, all the good stuff. And Smash Mouth and uh, Downfall by the, was that, the Trust Company. Just an all-around great, I don't know what they were thinking with the soundtrack. It's all over the place. As much as I love a good Simple Plan track every so often, really weird to see Buzz Lightyear uh, collecting spaceships on the moon or something, listening to Simple Plan. What is it? Grow Up is the, the track, I think, on this one. Really weird game. Uh, the, the controls for the game are really bad right off the bat. Like, it's not like a classic Tony Hawk game. Uh, tip for people is that you want to turn on pro controls, which makes the game feel more like a Tony Hawk game. So if you played this game and think it's absolute crap, maybe go back and try and switch up the controls. It might help your experience just a little bit. Uh, but then again, maybe not. Yeah. And that's it, Neil. That's all I want to talk about that game. I, I do want to say one more thing real quick is that uh, there are some really weird product placement levels in this game. There's a le- there's a level or a mission completely centered around McDonald's as well as Nokia phones, uh, which is really weird. They just shoehorn that into the game randomly. I'm not quite sure why, uh, how that worked out, but uh, this is a secret McDonald's game. Yeah, like- all good GameCube games are secret <laughs> McDonald's games. Listen... <laughs> This one is this is a really important game, I think, too. I don't I don't know any of the GameCube was cool uh, fans outside of our friend group, Mike and Neil, personally. But I know mm. that that moment of me f-ing up was such an important part to this fan, uh, <laughs> such an important part of the lore of this fan base. I just want to say that's great. Yeah, yeah, Mike and I do talk about it on a fairly regular basis. It comes up in conversation. It was pretty it's, good. Uh, it's, it was pretty good. It was, it was, it was great. Good. Like we we worry about that happening to us, and it hasn't happened since. I don't think, at least. So thank you for being 
thank you for having that moment, sharing that moment with us on the air too. Really good stuff. Anyway, let's move on to the next game of the day here, which is Evolution Snowboarding, released on February 25th, 2003, developed and published by Konami. This is also on PS2, rates a 5 out of 10, priced today at a cool $100, and this is, of course, if you couldn't tell by the title, a snowboarding game. Uh, do either of you fellows have a, any experience playing the Evolution snowboarding game? I do not, sadly. Gavin? No, I I don't. I am a resident uh, extreme sports expert, but not a video game expert, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> I can give you real world uh, applications, but that's well, all I'm good for. Well, give me the real world <laughs> applications of evolution snowboarding. What have you learned about this game uh, at, um, uh, that is interesting about it? I would say it can really teach you how to punch and kick aliens as you go down a snowboard hill. Mm. You know, that's that's something that is very common when you're out snowboarding so i mean that's something you can learn from uh that's all that's all <laughs> the game has a really weird plot to it it's kind of like a global warming activist message i don't quite know what they were going for with that but uh the game has a fantastic opening uh the game centers around the player the player character receiving an email to investigate a ski resort because as you do you receive emails to investigate ski resorts uh after you pick one of your four character models to play the game as uh you begin with that player escaping the resort after being attacked by unknown thugs called board roids they really lean into the snowboarding uh, part of this game, obviously. Uh, upon escaping the facility, uh, Danny Cass, which is the name of the character, uh, meets the player in an area called Boomtown, an oil field taken over by a mysterious corporation. The player discovers that the Earth's climate has been changed dramatically by this corporation and teams up with Cass to regain Boomtown. Uh, upon, pro upon progressing, the player encounters a chainsaw-wielding man, uh, Boomer, who uh, the player kills to liberate Boomtown. Spoiler for the end of the game. But basically, it's about this evil organization trying to turn the whole world into uh, a snowy ice, like a snowy, I guess, world, kind of like Mr. Freeze. Uh, they're really addicted to snowboarding, I suppose. I should clarify, and sorry, this is not a bit. I should clarify, <laughs> this is also not a bit. Uh, I should clarify, I have, I have played this game kind of because watching the gameplay I was immediately recognized i immediately recognized um one of the greatest games ever made for uh nintendo 64 and uh, the original playstation which is nagano winter olympics 1998 mike <laughs> have i forced you to play this at my house before you have i, I is that also developed by konami because i know konami did a lot of those games it is yeah so it's it's totally the exact same Exact same like oh. snowmobiling technique, like it's it looks the same, like all the animations are the same, um, which was cool, obviously, and, and obviously sharpened up a bit for the N sixty four. Nagano Winter Olympics, uh, nineteen ninety eight. Don't buy it, like terrible. You can't. I don't know how to describe it. I got it as a kid, and I would play it like all the time. I never meddled in any of the sports. It's it's got picked up. I noticed like a couple years ago, it's got picked up by like YouTubers and and twitch streamers mm -hmm. that like to be like here's an impossible game you would maybe want to yeah. play and the reviews are super funny um actually i've got one here gamestop described the uh, resulting gameplay as about as tough as answering a phone when it rings <laughs> so that was that was that was a pretty uh pretty uh pretty Ouch. deep cut and i also saw that evolution snowboarding obviously didn't review very well so i'm assuming no. konami 0 for 2 on snowboarding games. yeah no did that olympic snowboarding game did that in, uh, did that feature weapons as well like spiked bats chains and uh, the board itself <laughs> because that's what evolution snowboarding is all about it basically combines snowboarding with close combat uh two things that don't necessarily need to be combined but Hey, they tried it. I feel like that this this game, this concept in the hands of maybe a Blitz Games, uh, someone who made like a, the NHL hit series, might have had a better chance at making a an interesting game. But uh, 
I've heard I've read an article or I've read a review from GameSpot who uh, they say that ultimately the game falls short of its potential with sluggish controls, bland visuals, and a relatively low difficulty level. As Marty said, about as difficult as answering a phone when it rings. Game <laughs> which is just brutal. Come on. Brutal. Yeah, well they, <laughs> they yeah. hate it. They're doing their best. The game does have an interesting soundtrack, though, a little bit more, uh, I guess, hard rock. I don't know what you'd call this, but we got Slipknot, Stone Sour, Murderer Dolls, uh, Kill Switch Engaged, fantastic, uh, Chimeria, I don't know how to say that, 36 Crazy Fists, and 5.0. Do either of uh, you folks have a, a favorite band from this list that you'd like to hear? Zero. Don't. No. Good. Corey Taylor just taking over. 13-year-old me would have loved that. Mm. Uh, well, probably 11, but... I also heard that Slipknot was a part of it, like they were featured in it in some way, like that they actually had something to do with the game, but no way. I find that very surprising because I don't know what Corey Taylor does, but uh, I think he doesn't care about anything. <laughs> <laughs> maybe one of the uh, maybe one of Slipknot's ten drummers worked on uh, developing the game. Uh, their song "Spit It Out" was the song featured in this game. I don't know that one. I think that's a bit heavy for a regular person game. Also, the fact that it's really easy makes me think it's more gauged toward the younger demographic. Yep. And then to have like hard metal playing in the background, it's very surprising. Yeah, no, I think that like I was I was thinking about this earlier today, just like with in terms of metal music and like age categories of these games. Do you guys think that like bands like Slipknot, Stone Sour, Kill Switch Engage, like? I don't mean to sound offensive because this is some coming from somebody who listens to pop punk dedicated to 14-year-olds. Do you think that like that genre of music just attracts, like Gavin said, like 11 to 13-year-olds? I feel like that that's just that market. I think most, I guess, non-mainstream music is meant for kids. Mm. I've kind of noticed that in my other music podcast that I listen to. Is that anything that's counterculture, they're actually like marketing to the younger crowd. Like, yeah, yeah. they're... 12 to 16 yeah so i can see it being that yeah for sure but it is a pretty rare game mike and i we go to a lot of uh, retro video game stores and uh we don't see it too often obviously that's uh that's reflected in the price here 100 dollars, and it is a sequel to evolution skateboarding which we talked about 100 episodes ago uh with you folks here the evolution series was a thing from konami uh short-lived but uh we did get both of those games on the gamecube luckily Anyway, let's move on to another kind of surfing board game, if we will, which is Trans World Surf Next Wave, which was released on March 18th, 2003, developed by Angel Studios, also known as Rockstar San Diego someday, published by Atari. This game is also on PS2 and Xbox, rates a 6 out of 10, priced today at around $25, and this is a surfing game, obviously, if you couldn't tell by the title. There are a couple of surfing games on the console, uh, more notably Kelly, Kelly Slater's uh, pro surfing. Uh, I actually picked this game up. Have either of you folks uh, had a chance to play this game uh, either back in the day or recently? Uh, I have not. I feel like this was one of the uh, McDonald's ones that was out there after just watching a bit of the gameplay. I feel like I have played it. Like a game you mean you played in a McDonald's uh, kiosk uh, while you're waiting for your Happy Meal? Oh, yeah. That old square thing that everyone fought over. Mm. Yeah, all okay. games are McDonald's games. <laughs> Just in different contexts. Secret McDonald's games. Yeah. 
Yeah, this this episode is sponsored by McDonald's. Uh, <laughs> We're also trying to get sponsored by Oreo. Yeah, we tried Oreo earlier. They haven't reached out to me since then. But Angel Studios, the uh, they owned by Diego Angel. Uh, that's the name of the owner of that studio. Originally was the developer for the N64 Ken Griffey Jr. games, as well as oh, Resident sick. Evil 2. Uh, Nintendo, Nintendo never outright bought Angel Studios, which was uh, a complete miss. They worked with them on a contract basis. Uh, around 2002, uh, Diego Angel discussed selling his company with Microsoft, Activision, and Rockstar Games. Uh, he befriended Sam Hauser with his brother Dan, uh, two of Rockstar Games' founder. The company uh, sought to acquire Angel Studios, uh, and eventually they did. So technically, Angel Studios is now known as Rockstar San Diego, and uh, Angel Studios and its 125 employees became a part of uh, Rockstar and have worked on games from GTA 5 to Red Dead 1 and 2 to Max Payne. So uh, if you're looking for a game from a studio that had humble beginnings and turned into a great studio, uh, Transworld Surf is a pretty good game to pick up, I think. And now, obviously, surfers are uh, do play a big part in, in Grand Theft Auto, but you're mostly probably just killing them at this point. I'm not sure if they do have any. I'm not. I, I didn't really play GTA Five. Is there? Are they featured in the story mode? It's hard to say. Hey, we should mention with this game, um, the mm-hmm. the actual water animation is sick. I'm sure people that have played That's this want to want to want to hear about it, but like, it's unbelievable considering the system it's on, like across the whole generation. Well, one of the things with the GameCube was that the GameCube had some of the best water textures of any other uh, console. And a lot of that has to do with uh, Sunshine because the the GameCube was developed with Sunshine in mind. They knew that was going to be the the big Mario game and it was going to use a lot of these water textures, of course. And yeah, the GameCube does it probably better than everyone else. And they really show how good it can be with uh, Transworld, Sur- Transworld Surf. Yeah, what's kind of funny is that the other consoles, I think that they render the character models a little bit better. Those on the GameCube don't look great. But then, yeah, the water physics on the GameCube game do look better. Uh, I really think this game looks beautiful. It's almost like it's a different game on every console. I don't know if you guys got a chance to look at some of the box art. from. It's different on GameCube, it's different on PS2, and it's different on Xbox, which is Mm. interesting. The GameCube one is a bit more of like a like a wacky it almost looks like the cover of a mad magazine uh that that kind of like painted art style characters faces going crazy there's a (laughs) shark coming out of the water the xbox one has a giant atari logo watermarked onto the cover which is just ugly as heck and then the ps2 version looks like a a bad cg barbie doll uh, on a surfboard jumping out of the water so a really mixed uh bag of uh of of box art for all of the consoles uh xbox going with more of like a live action shot gamecube going with more of a cartoony shot and uh playstation 2 going with more of a hand in your homework at the last minute kind of uh kind of case so interesting interesting there but i definitely think like i've seen some gameplay of the ps2 and xbox footage and uh, gamecube is definitely the place to play this game um i just want like good looking surfing games and maybe that's where it is now in gta if Rockstar San Diego are making the surfing modes in GTA. Probably worth checking that out, but would prefer it if they put out another Transworld surf yep. game. <laughs> Does anybody ever actually play surf games? I feel like they're the, the, they seem like the most boring thing to me in the whole world. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Not yeah, not not so much anymore. I think it's got like a little bit of a niche uh, target market in the uh, in the gaming industry. But like, if you look at some of the YouTube videos in the comments, like people do have nostalgic memories of playing these games. Maybe not quite as big as Tony Hawk, but if you were into surfing or still are, there it's an Olympic sport now, so I guess it has a big enough community out there. Uh, it, there's only Neil, a couple like in, in existence. Have you played it? Yeah, like I, own, I own this game. 
Yeah, yeah. I played it for I picked it up a few weeks ago. Played it for a couple of hours. It's fun. Like I, yeah. I'm so used to playing Tony Hawk games that like switching over to surfing a wave. It's different. Just the way like the angle that you're supposed to grind on the way or not grind. I guess it's like board slide. I don't know what it's called. I don't know. I don't know what any of the tricks are called. But like just like when you do a jump and you land back on the wave, it's different. Like you have to land it on a different angle than a skateboard. So it does take some getting used to. Um, it it's it's a fun game. I don't like it as much as Tony Hawk. I don't exactly know like what I'm supposed to be doing. I fall over a lot. The game is super unforgiving when it comes to like physics and if you hit a wave wrong or if you time a jump wrong, like you fall. I fall constantly in this game. It's definitely like something that's easy to learn. It's actually hard to learn and hard to master at the same time. I also might just be bad at video games. That's definitely a strong possibility, but uh, it features a shark in the game too, which is really neat. Like if you go out of bounds too far, your character straight up just gets attacked by sharks, which is awesome. Kind of adds a little bit of an arcadey element to it, which is uh, why we're talking about it today. I love the shark in this game. It's super funny. I just feel like it's so limited for uh, like mobility. Like you're just in one spot going back and forth. But yeah, it has its place. Yeah, it's like I, I definitely am not one to ever pick up a surfing game. There are quite a few surfing games on the GameCube. Like there's Surf's Up the Movie, which is actually a surfing game itself. And <laughs> the movie, the yep, game, <laughs> the movie, the game. And there's Kelly Slater's Pro Surfing, which uses the exact same engine as Tony Hawk, but just for, with waves, uh, which isn't a bad game. But yeah, like surfing games are are boring in the sense that i would rather try surfing than actually just play it in a video game but um you know there's I, I can see the appeal surfing is one of the things that looks the worst on camera but is so hard when you're doing it you're you're riding a wave and you're on like yeah. you think it's huge and then you look back on the camera and it looks like you're like a little kid just riding on like a little fluff like it it is the worst looking thing on camera you're like dude that was intense and then you look like an idiot yeah it's hard to look cool riding a two yeah like riding a two-foot wave just a, an old man floating around around you while you're just trying to you're trying to surf the wave and do some kind of a random flip or something but the soundtrack in this game we have to talk about the soundtrack of course since it is an extreme sports game of some kind doesn't quite line up well with the surfing aesthetic and like the chill vibe of the beaches we've got some 41 no fx and anti-flag uh which is just a weird mix of like that pop punk uh, punk revival in the early 2000s anti-flag not a huge fan of them but some 41's nothing on my back kind of a weird thing to listen to i think that the so kelly good <laughs> good songs that, but like... that wasn't that was in one of the that was in one of the gameplay videos on youtube mm. it's like a scrub to like the five minute mark and you're like yes this is perfect I loved it. I thought it was a great Good song, but like I, I feel like that the Kelly Slater game did a better job of kind of exposing you to uh, like actual surfing music, like bands that are made around. So like Jack Johnson was a was a big one there. That was a that was a good one. But I love some forty one too. But I think it fits better in a in a skateboarding game, no doubt. Nice. Yeah, you want no doubt in there. I want some no doubt Tragic Kingdom in there. Maybe something off of uh, what the hell's the album after Tragic Kingdom that like no one remembers? Return, Return to, to Saturn. Saturn. Yeah. God, that album sucked. <laughs> All right. Well, while I'm uh, while I'm just getting down now on uh, no doubt news, uh, let's move on to the next game of the day here, which is World Tour, released on March 21st, 2003, developed by Papaya Studios. It's published by Crave and Vivendi, also on PS2. Rates a six out of ten. Priced today at around fifteen dollars, and this is a scootering game. And uh, Mike, you have this game, or you've played it at least. So please let me know what do you think of World Tour. Well, I've played it, but uh, Marty has also played it. Uh, he, uh, he, that was his homework, was to play this game. So, Marty, what do you think about World Tour? Not World Tour, mind you, but World Tour. <laughs> World Tour, yeah. 
uh <laughs> it was actually not that bad uh i gotta admit like mike obviously you you gave us a, a fair warning before we started playing it that it's like tony hawk but on a scooter sure um but there were some interesting sort of like liberties taken when it, taken with it like you know for example you could pretty mm-hmm. easily land like a 900 mm. um like a full like full like not like i don't know gavin help me like not like the thing where you flip the just the end of the scooter around like you literally turn your whole body around yeah. 900 which seems like <laughs> maybe not possible on a scooter regularly it's hard to say uh, i don't know scootering is the like quote-unquote easiest sport sorry to isolate every, all of the fans right now. <laughs> oh my god everyone skipped to the scootering everyone checked the timestamp for scootering and now they just completely got wrecked um yeah the uh and the 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 levels like obviously it wasn't good enough to beat the first level but like mike i know you played it like it's 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 i mean can't really beat around the bush too much it's it's shrek it, the whole thing is like basic yeah. based around shrek but not licensed like you walk around they're just like people like of like wearing like medieval like clothes there's like a you have to there's like a series of tasks you need to do and one of them is literally to kill Shrek, like he looks like Shrek. It's an ogre. Yeah, like there's everything. an ogre in the game. That, there's an yeah. ogre, yeah, and you have to like jump down in the hole. So like, obviously, to beat the levels, you need to like not not necessarily do tricks per se, but like pull off like little stunts and stuff. Yep. So that was really cool. But it was very funny to have something that's like you check the time, you check like the year that it came out. You're like, oh yeah, okay, there's mm. this is just a direct rip of Shrek. I was gonna ask which came first. Did Shrek get uh, their inspiration from this game? <laughs> oh, Shrek definitely came first. Unfortunately. Uncanny, uncanny Shrek. Yeah, this this game itself is is not a terrible game, like Marty said. It just, uh, it, it, the, I think the issue is that it's too close to Tony Hawk. So, mm, like sure. the in terms of when you're playing, uh, it's the exact same thing with like if this one is the castle is what you start off at, uh, where Shrek basically is, uh, and it's the same thing. You're trying to get enough points. You're trying to get all those. You're trying to get the stickers. You're trying to get everything basically that you would normally do in a Tony Hawk game, and uh, that's kind of what took me out of it a little bit. But scootering, like a scootering game in 2003, is pretty insane. Like before. When I when I first was doing this with Neil and we were going through all the the, the games, I remember this is one of those games that you and I Neil were like, whoa, like, this is this is a weird one. Like, why yeah. is there a, a scootering game? This was like seeing the UFC game as well. Mm. It's like, why is there a scootering game in two thousand three? And I, Gavin, like I know I remember I told you this, and you're like, what? Like, there's scootering on the GameCube? Right. Yeah, that, it seemed way too early because scootering didn't really take off until two thousand ten, probably. Pretty much. Yeah. Like. Like, the scootering that we know today, like, there were scooters back in, like, the 60s or the 50s and 60s, like, post-World War II or whatever. The scooters that, like, we think of today as the metal, the razor scooters that kids use on the concrete, though that didn't really exist until 1993. And those scooters didn't actually make it over to North America until 99 or 2000. And the first ever world championship was not held until 2012. So, yeah, Gavin, you're right. Like, a, a scootering game in 2003, I believe I said this game came out. Yeah, 2003. That's like nine years before it's really like a world sport, which is really ahead a of its world, time. World sport? <laughs> a, a world sport. Very nice. Are these like motorized scooters, though? They have like headlights and shit on them. So, yeah, that was a good question because when I first saw it, I was like, oh, is this um, like a just like a Vespa that uh, I'm going to be driving around? But it's not. 
really, well, at least the levels I played, uh, I think you can unlock better scooters as you go on. But for the most part, you're playing on like just normal scooters that you see kids on in skate parks today. And you can see the pictures in the back of the case. They actually show them riding uh, on those kind of scooters. So yeah, it's weird that they had the that style at the front of the case like that. But I guess it was to to show like, hey, like this is the scootering that you probably know. Choices were made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's almost all like the motorized scooters. Now, is is this game slow to play? Like, I'm watching gameplay right now, and it looks like kind of laggy compared to a Tony Hawk game. Does it ever like get exciting? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it does. Yeah, I when you say slow, yeah, you're just talking about just like frame rate and it's seeming kind of like yeah. a little like janky. Yeah, I mean, it like it does move pretty quickly. I found it was actually quite difficult to like. Mm-hmm. For example, Kill Shrek. That was hard. <laughs> this is my swamp. Yeah, we, oh my god! Yeah, he was literally in like a bowl. Yeah, it was that's so. His shrunk. That's his. Oh my god! It's nuts. So many layers. <laughs> nice. Yeah. No, it was it, honestly game gameplay gameplay wise, it was good. It was good. Okay. Yeah, it, it it's it was far better than I thought it to be. And so, fun story about me buying this. I uh, I did a road trip uh, last year actually, and I uh, drove through Canada. Saw Gavin on the way as well. And uh, after Gavin and I, we saw a friend of the show, Vic, in uh, Vancouver, and I wanted to go to a Vancouver game store and pick up a game and, and, and see what was uh, what was there. And I go to this game store, and I'm looking for GameCube games, and the guy there uh, is, you know, saying, oh, do you need any help? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm just here looking for some GameCube games. He's like, oh, like, that's interesting. Like, why? why basically. <laughs> uh, and I picked up World Tour and I was like, oh, I don't have this game. He's like, why would you want to pick this up? I was like, oh, well, I, I host a, a podcast uh, about GameCube games. And he's like, oh, is it like the, the GameCube is cool? I think I know. Like, I've, I've seen you on Spotify. Wow. No. Yeah. No. Let's go. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, yeah, so this is the only reason you should be buying World Tour. But uh, <laughs> but turns out it actually is a pretty, it's a better game than the uh, $11.99 I paid for at uh, PNT Vancouver. So a shout out to them. Do you think that you're like a low, like a like a B level like celebrity sighting for them? Like when you showed up that day, they were like, "Wow, we got a podcaster in the in the in the house today." Like I like to think that you appeared on their Instagram page, but it's like not a good picture of you. It's like you walking out of the store as like a side profile, but that, that's up <laughs> yeah. on the wall somewhere. It's like a pr- proud moment for them. It's like a Sasquatch sighting. Mm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Mike walking out with his bag and it's like just world tour in there, and they're like, "Wow, this is what the greatest GameCube podcaster bought from our little store. What a day!" The Reddit's a light. Because he's like, he was in Calgary yesterday. <laughs> Where is he going? There's like a guess. Oh, man. Neil, do you want to read the actual story of this? Because it, we, we talked a little bit about the Shrek aspect. But but read the actual plot because it's pretty hilarious. I definitely do. The band Flipside, which is a great name for a band, is performing at a sold-out show when all the band members are abruptly sucked into a portal. The band's roadie, Wasabi jumps on his scooter and rides into the portal after the kidnapped musicians stop laughing. Wasabi must skate through eight unique levels, defeat the bosses who guard the portal's power source, and finally face off against evil Dr. Skis Kicks, who mastermind the abduction. I just I just wanted you to say Wasabi, so that's, yeah. that's, that's all I wanted. That's all you needed. For you. Great name. Wasabi. This, this is Wasabi. all depicted in the intro, by the way. The intro mm-hmm. shows all of this. You gotta buy the game to see it. <laughs> yeah, you, you do have to buy the game. There's no way you can find this intro on YouTube. <laughs> intricate cutscenes. Yeah. Mm. What's weird is that even though you were like a part of a band, like it's not a fictional like I, I know I get that it's a fictional band, but they still managed to put like actual music in here. Like we got Gob, of course we have Gob in there. We have Plain White Tees. I learned today that they have more than one song. Uh we have Body Jar, got to have a uh, Body Jar in there. Not the same as the only song they have as well. 
We've also got Peanut Butter Wolf, Boys Set Fire, Audio Pilot, just a good little mix of uh, late 90s, early 2000s bands. I need to look into more plain white tees. I really only knew <laughs> Hey There Delilah, so apparently they have something worthy of a, sca- of a scootering game, but who knew? Yeah, they've got a couple other hits. A uh, quick note on this game, it allows you to go just hit pause and then select a song from the pause menu immediately. First option, which I really appreciated because I just wanted to hear a gob. So, Good. And it, obviously at that <laughs> point, all games from the early 2000s that are exchange sports are just about trying to listen to pop punk. So they really just cut straight to the chase there. I really appreciate it from them. I, I enjoyed that as well. And uh, I wanted to hear Body Jar because I'm pretty sure Body Jar not the same as on every single like, <laughs> sports and extreme sports game of this era, I yeah. swear. Yeah, that's definitely their number one hit. I have no idea what their number two hit is. But anyway, are you guys ready to move on to the next game on the list? Or do you have anything else to say about World Tour? Uh, Is Flipside, can we make it a real band? Does it exist now? Maybe. Let's think about this. Uh, Let's see now. Who made the game? Papaya Studio. uh, Vivendi is still around. Papaya Studio is definitely dead. So we'll take their their licensing for this uh, and we'll create uh, World Tour. Marty, Mm -hmm. is is that you playing the guitar? I was wait. I was gonna wait for a ska bit. I've just been sitting here with the guitar. <laughs> is that you trying to play Goldfinger's uh, Superman? Is that what that was? Yeah, I thought there'd be. Yeah, not quite. Uh, you mentioned ska early on, Neil, and I didn't have a chance to actually like. Play not it or quite whatever, the tempo so. of uh, Superman, but all right. <laughs> it sounds actually really good through mm-hmm. the the mic here. Like, wow, I'm I'm impressed. Wow, thanks. Every ska song. All <laughs> That's all of them. Yeah, really. <laughs> Let's move on to the next game of the day here, which is SX Superstar, which was released on June 30th, 2003, developed by Climax Studios, published by Acclaim. It's also on PS2 and Xbox, rates a 6 out of 10, priced today at around $15, and this is a Supercross racing game. Uh, Mike, do you have any experience playing SX Superstar? Well, uh, this one uh, is... It's also a game, but this one isn't as fun, I would say, as World Tour. And Marty also played this as home. Uh, I'm gonna put the guitar away. Can you have somebody else? I can. Okay, I can. Get, I can chime in. Uh, it looks terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Why exactly? My review of the gameplay, I saw that when using the berms, your the bike doesn't actually lean with the berms. It's still just straight. It stays straight up and down. So, I and. Uh, <laughs> After that, I couldn't even watch. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, the, this is the game I played at your place, Mike, right? Yes, the, yeah. That, yeah, yeah. So same thing, Gavin. Like, I booted it up, and then you could not see anything. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay. And then just, like, I, I played it for, like, maybe 20 seconds. Like, you can't see anything. Yeah. And then you go to, like, the expanded view, and it's just the same angle but farther. Like, you can't, you literally, like, I would just hit a fence because I could, genuinely could not see it. I just want to grab these stupid kids who had this on GameCube. Sorry, no offense. I just go back in time and just just go buy ATV Off-Road Fury, please. Yeah, this is basically like motocross. Go buy a PlayStation a, 2. Go buy something else. It's basically God. motocross through a dark hole. I'm not quite sure what's going on there with the lighting. Like everything is shadowed. Every, everything's a tunnel. And like, why couldn't they put lights in the tunnel or something? Like, give me a street lamp or anything, please. Also, like, what's going on with the character? I can't tell if there's, like, ragdoll physics going on, but every time you do a turn, I feel like your character's about to just go flying off the bike. Like, they're just dangling by a thread on that bike. Maybe that's a real thing in motocross, but I am I feel like I'm missing something here. It's funny you mentioned the ragdoll physics because, like, obviously, you want to try to launch yourself off the highest hill as you possibly can, sure. as, as you do. And then, like, the animation of the of the of your character falling off is just like not up to snuff in any way. <laughs> it's super disappointing just because games obviously at that time 
like had that kind of stuff down pat already and it was like just see something super unnatural out of your character falling off their bike and they're like all right well mm. i don't know it's just tough it's kind of like hiding in plain sight when all of these games had that kind of stuff you know Weird. just a shame i feel like there's a really big um they're trying to find a niche really hard on the racing side because there were so many uh, freestyle games out there, so they didn't add in any aspect of freestyle or anything, and it just was a straight like Mario Kart, but on dirt bikes, but with no fun. Yeah, true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah where it's hard to, where it's hard to race because you can't see where you're going. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, it, I was so disappointed that it was just like they leaned in so hard to the racing. Well, leaned in, you can't lean. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the worst part, and even like on the back of the case, it's it, it, it kind of pushes you through this like oh yeah you're gonna have these these huge uh this big air and get combos and everything and you do but not in the way that you would expect like uh or be anticipating i guess also to be a super big nerd um almost every track i see is not an sx track it's an mx track so i don't know what they're talking about that's true yeah (laughs) super super cross is indoor arena like jump after jump these are like outdoor rings with huge berms so i don't know Big nitpicky on that aspect. So this is this should be MX superstar, but they they just wanted to say SX because you know it sound the alliteration just sounded good. You need to have as many S's and X's in every single title of these extreme sports games back in the day. But watching gameplay of SX Superstar just reminds me, Mike and I talked about this a little bit at the beginning of the episode, how much I would love Nintendo to go back to their Excite Bike series. Uh, motocross games from like the 80s and 90s were a big part of the NES. And SNES and N64 era to a to a certain degree, and it could be a pretty good nostalgia pull if Nintendo was like, "Hey, here's Excite Bike on Switch," like just a random, like throwaway, just a surprise at E3. It'd be such a neat thing to bring back from the series. Like Excite Bike is the ninth best-selling NES game of all time. It sold higher than Metroid, Mario Bros. Two, Dragon wow. Quest, Final Fantasy, uh, which makes it the highest-selling NES sports game of all time. And they continued it on uh, N64 with Excite Bike 64, sold two million units. They continued it on the Wii, kind of with Excite Truck and Excite Bot, which both combined sold a little under a million units. I think the Excite Bike series could easily make a comeback. And I know that it's like it's just one sports game again. Like it's, it's but like I think you could have a really cool career mode. You could. Even even play like play the game in classic 8-bit style if you wanted to and also have a pretty decent looking game on on switch if they brought it back but nonetheless this is one of the few motocross games that we got on the gamecube was excite bite ever not a 2d game yeah the n64 version was a 3d game uh more polygonal a bit like this game actually i think if I I could probably say with some confidence that uh, Excite Bike 64 in some ways looks better than uh, MX Motocross, which is not a high bar. This game is pretty garbage looking. Or SX Superstar. I'm like, oh, imagine trying to do yeah a motor like a motorbike game on N64. <laughs> That's I like I don't even know how these games would compare. They'd probably be the exact same playability wise, honestly. Just just not good. Not good. So it's soundtrack. Uh, <laughs> mm. We have some decent ones actually that I was kind of surprised about. We had Deftones on here. We had uh, uh, we had Nerd, the uh, NERD, the kind of hip hop group uh, led by Pharrell back in the day. Uh, no use for a name. Boxcar Racer. Marty loves Boxcar Racer. Oh yeah, I feel so <laughs> mad. I feel so angry. Yeah. The No Use for a Name track was an interesting song choice. They went with Justified Black Eye, which is a song about women's abuse. Like I think that they could have gone with something a little less, 
I don't know what word I'm going for there, but like a- any other no use for a name song probably would have been good. Um, th- that's an interesting song to go with for sure. Like the Daily Grind would have been a better choice, but anyway. You can't watch a dirt bike movie without hearing Deftones in the 2000s. So <laughs> I think it's I think it's ob- obligatory for them to have a Deftones song in here. But uh, there's something sonically that makes so much sense about it. There's a lot of droning. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What was that boxcar racer song that featured Mark Hoppus? So it was basically a Blink song. Thank you. That was the one. Yeah. <laughs> I love that album. There's like one song on there featuring Mark Hoppus. Like, this is a Blink song. Boxcar 182. Mmm. They'll make a comeback someday. I love someday. plus Boxcar 44. <laughs> All right, guys. Let's move on to the last game of the day. What do you think? Let's do it. Final right. game, Freestyle Metal X. Freestyle Metal X was released on September 12th, 2003, developed by Debus Studios. I think that's how you say it. Published by Midway. It's also on PS2, Xbox, and that's it. It rates a 7 out of 10, priced today at around $15. This is another motocross game. How would you guys say that? D-E-I-B-U-S. Debus? Like like more well, folks, folks, if if this is if this is made by if this is made by Debus, I Debus and Butthead. I thought this game would have been made by Butthead because this game is looks so stinky and the music is dog. Shit. It's all from like like eighties hair metal and stuff. Like Kickstart My Heart is like the main like song. Just just stinks. Debus and Butthead, get out of here. That's a great way to describe it. This game really does stink. Like there's something about it that's just look at the cover. Yeah, oh, the I smell. Cover. I smell after looking at that thing. It looks sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> we have two different covers to talk about. There's a North American GameCube cover, which is probably the worst cover I think Mike and I have ever seen. It's like uh, a character. I don't know who he looks like. Like some weird butt, butt rock lead singer, bass player head split open. There's a head coming out of his head and then a head coming out of that one head. The PAL version is only mildly better. It's a back picture of a, like a guy's tattoo on the back with a biker tattooed on him, I guess, to show that this is, in fact, a motorcycle That's game. our episode artwork, too, Neil. So because Oh, It's terrific. the most Good extreme, quote-unquote, thing I could think of for like for this episode uh, because, of course, we had BMX XXX on the last episode, which was, you know, the, mm. the, the most extreme thing ever. So I had to follow it up with the, the new BMX XXX, and the closest thing I could find was Freestyle Metal X, so... There's only one X, so I don't know if it. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're going mathematically, I think one out of three is about the same. Yeah. On the X scale. <laughs> on the on on the X scale, yeah, it's uh, I, they, it really should have been like like MX freestyle metal X. That's that's what they should have been. <laughs> Too many X's. I can't stand it anymore. <laughs> There's only one S. Like, come on. Yeah, more yeah well. I know, right? Jeez. But yeah, what do you guys? Uh, what do you guys think of this game? Uh, other than it being uh, poo poo. I think. Well, comparing it to the last one, I think the physics were a lot better. At least that's uh, one mm-hmm. plus I can give it. Mm-hmm. Other than that, um, I mean, it looks like it plays like a decent freestyle motocross game. Nothing to write home about. It. It. It looks sweaty. Like I said, like everything's kind of mushy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> It looks uh, hot. It looks hot in there. Nothing else of note. Just so squished. Yeah. Everything's so yeah, squished. It's, it's yeah. Yeah, squishy. The yeah, the graphics are uh, passable. Uh, kind of standard. Uh, there's blood in this game, which was actually interesting. Like like a large amount of blood when you uh, fall or, or or miss a trick. Like you uh, you'll see some blood trails behind you. I was like, oh, that's kind of fun. Um, there's a ton of freedom to this game, which is a bit of an improvement on some of the earlier kind of MX titles. And really what you're trying to do in this whole thing, kind of the, the story behind it is that you're, you're trying to compete or complete dares, 
that were given yeah. to you by other people by doing some crazy stunts. A good a good way to to show the youth who are playing this that uh, if someone dares you to do something, you should totally do it. Peer pressure is good. I mean, it was, it was the early 2000s. I was going to say, think about what was big. Yeah, it was the early 2000s. Like most of our economy at that time was peer <laughs> pressure and dares. That's how like the economy worked back then. You have to remember. Well, well, think about what was big in the early 2000s, which we talked about 100 episodes ago, and it was Jackass. So, like, the, the thugs and the BMXs, Triple Xs, like, those were all very much tied to Jackass, the show and the movies and everything. And this is a lot like that. Like, it... It's the same. It's the same style. It's the same. Going after the same culture, the same community. The music matches it perfectly. I know what you're saying. Like everything looks squished, but like it runs. It still runs better than SX Motocross. Whatever the heck the last <laughs> game was. The SX game that we just talked. I hate that title. <laughs> it runs better. Like the characters look better. The models look okay. The environments actually look somewhat detailed. There's some good lighting actually. Like I like the look of like the sunset going on on like on the whatever farm this dude's doing insane tricks on. Uh, like it looks fine. Like it's not the worst looking GameCube game by any stretch. It's just like, yeah, like Marty and, and Gavin both said it best. Like this game is sweaty and you can smell it. Like it's, <laughs> it, you can't say that about other games. And it's just a, it's such a hard thing to explain over a podcast for sure. And like, it's just also very ADD. Like there's so much going on on screen at one time. Like when you do a trick, just a hundred things on screen at one time. And like, it tells you how high you jumped, how fast you're going. There's some, there's some X spinning around in the corner. There's also like a random number on the top right-hand side of the screen. I don't know what that means. Uh, they name every single trick that you're doing, which is unnecessarily annoying. Um, I, I don't even know what, like where to start and where to look when, when you're playing this game at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, I think the look away. I think the biggest thing that hurt this game because I I can't see it doing that well sales wise is three weeks before or three weeks later, Thug came out. So Tony Hawk Underground, which is basically what this game is trying to be, uh, but just for motocross. So I think that hurt it a lot because Tony Hawk Underground was a pretty huge step into like that extreme sports world where it's like, look, you can do so many other things now. And there's like a world to explore and everything. So that definitely uh, took away some sales and some uh, prestige from uh, Freestyle Metal X. <laughs> sure. say, there wasn't much free roam gameplay back then. Uh, did this, how big of a map did this let you roam around on? Or were you sectioned off into little courses? Um, I don't think you could go like fr like free roaming exactly. I think like you are kind of sectioned off into small levels. They're they're not like small by any stretch. Like it's not like Spider Man where you can uh, you can explore all of New York and go into Queens and everything. Um, everything being pre rendered though, like I I guess so. Yeah, like yeah. Th there's no load screens or anything. So once you once you start a level, that's yeah, it. Yeah. So you have like your own basically map that you can explore like a farm or a field or wherever it is and then you're just in that zone you can't go outside of the boundaries at all so it's like open sandbox i guess is the way that most people would describe this type of game and there is a multiplayer mode uh although the weirdest part of it no split screen so hmm. you kind of are just doing it one at a time and i hate like this That's is the weird. worst thing as a kid to do <laughs> is playing like an extreme sports game like this and being like okay pass the controller yeah yeah, that's the word. I can't believe that there isn't like two, either split screen or yeah, passing the controller back and forth. This is not that type of game. Even four player split screen should definitely have been a thing. Like how many points can you rack up in two minutes on the same course at the same time? Maybe you can knock into each other, uh, jump into each other uh, like in the sky or something or even like switch bikes or just do stupid, stupid stuff like with friends. That would definitely be a ton of fun to do. But the limitations of the game, like we talked about with Ali, 
uh, probably didn't have a ton of development time either that they would have liked to have added in. Um, so unfortunately, it's more of a pass-your controller, back-and-forth kind of multiplayer experience. Yeah, that's right. And the last thing I want to say about this game is, Marty mentioned it quickly, 80s metal soundtrack. What mm. is up with that? That is so weird. Strange. Really strange for the time, right? Like, it's it's immediately dated. Like, imagine as you're, as a kid hearing songs that, like, your dad at best would like. <laughs> like, it's just like, like who... And again, it's it's like same thing with the split screen. Like it's just bizarre to have all these games that sorry you two guys have to talk about for years at this point that are just like that just that that are just like not anywhere close to any sort of benchmark that other games yeah. are doing. And like it's this is the same thing. Just copy what everyone else is doing and put pop punk in there. <laughs> like what like what are you doing? Like it immediately sets you back. Like every at every step, it's just bizarre to see. Just like no best practices like picked up across the board. How many times do you need to hear Body Jar? Uh, not the same in a in a in a generation. How many times do you need to hear a Gob track again? I guess that's all you need. Just put the same soundtrack. Oh, on all way more times, <laughs> yeah. Neil. Neil, so many so many more times. Oh my God. Motley Crue, Megadeth, Twisted Sister, and Shorty being the main bands on this uh, on this game. Like like Marty said, the game is dated the minute it comes out. Uh, but I guess it might have gotten some people into those '80s bands, I suppose. But SpongeBob got me into Twisted Sister. I didn't need. This uh, abomination of a of a box art of a game. Uh, oh, that's sick! It shares kickstart my heart with uh, Gran Turismo three, I believe three or four. The opening scene is uh, kickstart my heart, which I find interesting that this is also that. <laughs> Basically, the same game. Truly Basically bizarre. Game. Nice. Well, yeah. I think that is the end of the games that we have today. All the extreme sports games now are covered on the GameCube. So, guys, final thoughts about just extreme sports games in general in uh, that we've talked about today and in this era. A very big noteworthy factor is obviously the music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really grew with the uh, new metal scene and just like the uh, antics of that scene. Hard to describe. And, antics is a good word. Assholery. <laughs> Jack, I guess it's jackassery because they started it all. Yeah. I'm upset a bit that it peaked in this era, and that was before all the graphics got good. I would have liked to be playing these games on these new consoles when the uh, industry was peaking, but here we are. We're left with uh, SX Superstar, <laughs> but definitely the best game I've ever seen. And (laughs) (laughs) and uh, Disney making skateboarding games, and that probably killed every skateboarding game ever to come after. (laughs) That is probably what did it, Uh, Marty. Do you agree? Is this what uh, is this what killed the skateboarding industry at the time? You know, they keep talking about the new skate coming out and everything, and they just keep talking about (laughs) Disney. It's like Disney did this. We can't do it because Disney did that. I just like. I'm just sick and tired of having to wait for a new game because Mickey Mouse wrote a skateboard <laughs> one. Um, no, I think uh, like these games had like such a such a big impact like across the board. Obviously, with Tony Hawk being at the forefront of it, but um, these games, uh, which Gavin, sorry, which was which game did you say was the best one you ever played? Uh, the SX one. Yeah, sorry. SX definitely. Uh, mm-hmm. I really like how you lean and don't lean. As <laughs> Yeah, so SX Superstar is also the best game that I've ever played too, which is, which is great. So thanks for having, thanks for having us out for that one. It's good. 
Thank you so much, Marty, for coming back. We've waited a long time to hear you say that. Uh, I'm glad that you came back and talked about the correct Disney skateboarding game, though, on this point. So looking forward to uh, to seeing your YouTube uh, channel flourish with SX Superstar gameplay. I'm sure you'll bring that game back into the forefront. EA will have its own press conference in 2023 with that game coming coming back hard on whatever Xbox console comes out next week. You're going to open up Twitch. I'm going to be in like the sickest mm. like gamer chair setup and just playing this game. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, he's been playing this for 10 hours. Oh my Making God. millions of dollars a day. Very good. Well, very boys, good. thank you very much for coming back on. And uh, we hope to see you both back real soon. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for having Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. What nice young men. What nice young men. What all th- all three nice young men today coming mm. on the podcast. Really, really appreciated them all coming. Gavin and Marty, of course, coming on. Marty rectifying uh, Disney sports, uh, Disney extreme sports skateboard. I don't know. Whatever it's called. <laughs> terrible name. All these, some terrible all names. SX all Superstar, bad. I know you hate. And uh, I love having Gavin on, honestly. Uh, always a treat to have him on because... Uh, obviously, you and I grew up with skateboarding, but Gavin is the BMX guy. He's the MX, the SX mm-hmm. guy. It's always cool hearing his opinions from that side of things. Someone who's not a traditional gamer, but knew about these uh, these games and played a lot of them as a kid as well. So, uh, yeah, always love having his opinions. And, of course, always having, having Marty on is a good time. Playing some upstrokes. Oh, yeah, of course. Marty playing his ska <laughs> on his guitar was great. To, I was not expecting that performance today, absolutely. But no, like like we said at the top of the episode, uh, you know, the extreme sports genre just plays an important role with all, a lot of people in the early 2000s. It's games that you, I wasn't joking, it's games that you picked up from Blockbuster, it's games that you got as gifts, it's games that you might have only played for an hour, or games that you played while you're waiting for pizza to be delivered. Like, it's just a different time, and it's a genre that's hard to come back, hard to see it come back, but... Uh, I guess that that's a good transition, Mike, into our closing thoughts. So with that, are there any games that you recommend that the listeners pick up? That's a good question, Neil. Uh, I mean, Go-Go Hypergrind would be really cool to pick up if you can find $800 uh, <laughs> lying around. Yeah. Obviously, if you can get that for cheap or just find it in some way and, and be able to play it somehow, please do. It's a really interesting game. It's not necessarily a great game, but it's interesting and very different. Right. Uh, and... Other than that, extreme or evolution snowboarding is also kind of interesting. But see, all these games are just mediocre enough. Uh, even World Tour, which is a fun game to play, like we said, uh, it just doesn't. There's there's better games out there. You know, Tony Hawk Underground exists, and that's kind of what I, I could say for all these games is that a better version of it really does exist out there. Yeah, it's it's totally true. Like like Go Go Hypergrind is the game that you see on every GameCube collector's page. Like when they find it, it's such an amazing experience. Uh, if you can find it for a good price, it's even better. Uh, if you do happen to have almost you know five hundred to eight hundred dollars lying around and you, it's burning a hole in your pocket, I would say save it for something better. But if you really want Go Go Hypergrind, it probably is the most interesting game on our list today. Mm-hmm. Made by an interesting team of developers. Uh, there's nothing like it on current gen hardware or even. The GameCube hardware, really, other than maybe something like cell damage, yeah. uh, there's really nothing anywhere close to that. So it's it's a neat it's a neat concept. I really think I don't know if it's ever going to come back as a remaster. That's my thing. Like I, I get nervous of like someone picking this game up and then a week later it's on some kind of Nintendo Direct. No, it won't. I really wish that Nintendo would put out like some kind of package of expensive GameCube games. Like here it is: Go Go Hypergrind <laughs> and Fire Emblem and uh chibi robo and like all of these games uh cubivore like just everything as a package for 50 bucks or 80 bucks or whatever it is whatever your local equivalent is of a full price game just to like get some of these games out to people that are spending way too much money on them 
Um, but if you're looking for a slightly less expensive experience, uh, I really enjoyed Transworld Surf. Uh, it's a fun game to pick up and play for a few minutes, just chill, uh, you know, ride some waves. It's different than Tony Hawk. It's just different enough um, than just riding a quarter pipe on Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Um, there's a lot of replayability. You can go back for high scores. You can try to um, try to uh, unlock all of the achievements and do everything in each level. Uh, it's got a, an okay soundtrack. It's not nearly as uh, amazing as Tony Hawk Pro Skater, but um, there were a lot of surfing games on the GameCube, and this is one that I think uh, you could have a good time picking up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's as good as Kelly Slater's game. I still haven't picked that game up yet, but um, it, the physics are good. Graphics look okay. The music is fun, as I said, and there's a shark in it, which I talked about earlier. There aren't too many sharks in video games, and uh, that that deserves a shout out. That's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> Thank you. But Mike, where do you see these franchises going forward? Do you think we're ever going to see a sequel to Go Go Hypergrind mm. or a sequel to? MX motocross downhill surfing uh, on the Switch 2? Well, I think the better question really is where do we see extreme sports going uh, Mm. as video games? Uh, We talked a little bit in the intro about kind of how extreme sports have evolved into the indie space and into GTA and other really big open world games that kind of just do everything. And of course, Mm. there are a couple of publishers like EA who make uh, skate or kind of dip their toes into that. But um, for any of these games, there's no way we get a sequel to any of these games, I would say, or any kind of remaster. I think these games are dead on this console mm-hmm. I, uh, and PS2 and Xbox. They're not going anywhere. Uh, yeah. But if, if I were to predict, you know, one of these games being more popular in the future, I would say World Tour just because scootering is really, really big right now. And mm-hmm. uh, although this is kind of electric scootering, but it still has the same kind of physics, I could see World Tour being getting super popular on a YouTube channel or something. And maybe we'll get the Battle for Bikini Bottom treatment here and, and somehow <laughs> it'll get re-released or remade in some way. Or someone, an indie developer might just make a scootering game like World Tour. I was going to say, like, scootering is huge. When I go yeah. to the skate park, there's always kids on scooters. It's weird that that as a video game genre hasn't picked up. But like you said, it's it's a part of the bigger open world games, which is such a shame because there are people like you and I, adults, that just want to play the mode in that game. Mm-hmm. Like, I would be t- – it cuts down on – Low times, it cuts down on me having to find the surfing level in Grand Theft Auto or whatever it is. I just want to pop on a game and play it. It would just be so much easier to do. And yeah, it might not be worth a full price game, but for me, extreme sports games, I I, I think you're right. Like I I think it's just gonna end up. I think it's gonna end up being a niche thing that indie developers will make. I'm not as into the 2D extreme sports games. I know I said at the beginning of the episode, Excite Excite Bike and games like Excite Truck coming out later uh, were really popular, but I can't. I can never get into Excite Bike. I never understood it. The games <laughs> need to be 3D. I think they yeah. need to be really high quality. Graphically, they need to be good. Uh, that's just part of it. Like with a surfing game, I want the water physics to work. I want the water to look good. Yeah. With a snowboarding game, same thing. I want the mountains to look vast and amazing, like in SSX. And there's just not the budget for those games, which is so unfortunate. I think the the blueprint for these games is out there. So I think the best thing we can hope for is that THQ Nordic will purchase <laughs> all of them and slowly drift them out to us for uh, 49.99, so we can pick them up uh, on some random Friday in May. Yeah, I think that's really the only thing that we're we're hoping for for these because, well, yeah. I mean, Go Go Hypergrind, it's Atlas, as we talked about earlier, so that's definitely dead because Atlas refuses to make oh, right. Atlas refuses to make any uh, remakes of their games or anything because hey, look at Cubivore. Yeah, totally. It's uh, it's sad that Atlas uh, had to make such great games on the GameCube and strand them on <laughs> uh, on the hardware. Yeah, but. 
Mike, well, we're sitting around here waiting for a go-go hypergrind, cross cubivore, and an ATV race to the death. Why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next, I guess, next three weeks on the GameCube Was Cool podcast? Well, I would love to tell them they could expect us talking about cubivore versus go-go hypergrind in an <laughs> ultimate battle. But uh, unfortunately, no, you will not be hearing that. But you will be hearing some very interesting content that we'll be putting out. Uh, three side missions. We are on vacation for these next three weeks, and it'll be a lot of fun just talking about ourselves, talking about video games, movies, TV, whatever. It's just going to be a big conversation. I think a couple of interviews uh, that we'll be doing with each other, as well as a little fun uh, challenge to spend under $100 on eBay buying GameCube games. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be a lot of fun. So the next three weeks, we're going to do a little bit of a detour from our regular content, but not to worry. We will be back at the end of the month, right back on track where we are today. Mike, I was looking at our schedule, and we have 17 episodes to go, 17 mainline episodes to go. Unless we decide to break up a few or condense a few, we are getting mighty close to uh, to the end of the GameCube library. Isn't it crazy? It's crazy. Yeah, we're gonna we're looking at uh, 125 mainline episodes. Of course, this mm-hmm. is episode 107, so it's getting close, Neil. It's getting close. It's hard to believe. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 107 of the GameCube Was Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us a rating and a review so we can make the show better. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube Was Cool. All patrons get the show ad-free and a little early. Thank you so much to everyone over there. And you can follow us for free on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And you can join the weekly conversation on our Discord channel. Just search The GameCube Was Cool. Share us with your friends and family. Tell Mr. Smith... Neil says hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. See you later. Bye-bye. GameCube. Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. GameCube. Who's Mr. Smith? Uh, he's from GoGo Hypergrind. Oh, yes. That's right. Doesn't make any sense right now. <laughs> <laughs> no one knows we've recorded this out of order. Ah, the magic of editing. The magic of editing. <laughs> Who's <laughs> Mr. Smith?